have I got a story for you. A fellow podcast enthusiast and a fucking Canadian to boot couldn't quiet his inner voice and had to make some serious life changes in order to wake up feeling like he wanted, which was like a nine-year-old. But first, a word from today's sponsor, AndrePsyche.com. AndrePsyche.com, faithful listeners, is that cute, quaint, you got it, corner store boutique with all sorts of neat and original merchandise you had no idea existed because AndrePsyche.com is tucked away on the northwest part of the internet, right above Amazon. Let me give you a little preview of the plethora of potential purchases available for your perusal. We're talking literature, clothing, paintings, printings, accessories, poetry, any custom gift that your heart, soul, mind, body could desire. Have we mentioned he's put out a couple of serious singles lately? Andre, after all, is a freelance creator extraordinaire. He'll make whatever the fuck you want. Just message him. Go to AndrePsyche.com and see what speaks to you because each and every item has a story behind it. Nothing is made. Everything is created on AndrePsyche.com. We are also brought to you by the Getting to Know You pod. Yes, the podcast you are currently listening to. Do us a favor, dear listener. We need and appreciate your support. Take a moment right now and push the subscribe button, whether you're listening on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or iHeart, wherever you're listening. Please subscribe. How else can you support the pod? Thanks for thinking of that. You can go to our Patreon and search Getting to Know You Pod, that's all one word, and become a subscriber. You can also friend and follow the Getting to Know You Pod on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Getting the number two, know the letter U, pod. Again, all one word. And finally, we are looking for additional sponsors and advertisers. So if you or someone you know has a business or brand and would like to expand your market reach, consider partnering with us. We get to know people from all around the world. The podcast is downloaded in over 40 countries at this point, and I believe 47 states in America, including, or I guess not including, but Puerto Rico's down. So if you or someone you know are looking to get more traffic to your site, more followers on your social, more purchases of your product, more clicks on your whatever, just message us. And I almost forgot. I have no idea what the fuck happened, but the audio, first time in 90 guests, the audio is the shittiest it's ever been since I started. I really do apologize for the static. I've tried to edit it. I don't know how to get it better. So you are going to get to know Lars, and it's going to be a little bit of a listening challenge. Again, I apologize, but you're going to love getting to know Lars. And now, getting to know you. Hello. Getting to know you, getting to know all about you. I'm going to do a terrific show today. Getting to like you. Getting to hope you like me. Because I'm good enough. Getting to know you. Putting it my way, but nicely. I'm smart enough. You are precisely. And doggone it. My cup of tea. On today's show, we 
are getting to know. Lars. Lars who, I got to be honest, based on your Instagram, you live a better life than 95% of us, my friend. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it. It's going to be great getting to know you, man. I think that must be true about social media then, that, that looks can be deceiving. <laughs> that's so true, right? Like, that's um, it's one of the things that really screws with kids is they get this idea. I guess it's just people in general. Everyone posts all the good stuff, and then the filters now, especially, like, everyone looks great. And then it's like, yeah, how come I'm not that good? How come I'm not that adventurous or exciting? That's a good point. And it's like, like I follow lots of people on Instagram and you see their life, but you see it, you know, you see through the filter of what they like. Right. And, and then there's, I think there's a tendency to think, oh, their whole life must be like that. It, it's definitely an interesting, I don't think society's really figured out how to process social media yet. I. Um, did you see the social dilemma on Netflix? I did, yeah. Yeah, and um, I'm assuming all the kids in your Instagram are yours, unless you just kidnap yeah. and have fun with random yeah. children. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, those those are my and like I generally I Instagram my children and the geography of where I live, which is kind of the two things that on a day to day level captivate me. Right. Um, and, um, but yeah, I did see the social dilemma and my children, I have four children and their ages are, I have three girls and a boy. So it goes girl, girl, boy, girl. And that's 13, nine, five, and two. Wow. And I had my eldest daughter in 2007, which I think is pretty well, Facebook came out before that, but 2007 was it started being adopted worldwide, I think. Yeah, well, I think, was it iPhone 2007? Or something yeah. with that where, like, the smartphone just blew. These yeah. kids are grown up with a computer in their pocket, which just blows my mind. Yeah, and I, because my kids are, uh, have such a wide range in age, I've seen, I've seen a progression from my, my 13-year-old right down to the two-year-old. Like, she'll walk, if she walks by and you're on your phone, she'll just go by and, and just tap something <laughs> just to see because you know if you tap something something good might happen yeah, right? right and and then but also from a parenting standpoint you know we're kind of at uh, ground zero for there's a lot of fear we're like well I saw in my email box last night I saw because uh, my daughter my 13 year old daughter's email account it comes to my phone the one that you so know I saw about. A, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> I, saw, I saw a confirmation email for write a prisoner a letter. <laughs> no. Yeah, so I was like, so I then I, I'm out of town right now, so I, I messaged her on, on Facebook. I said to her, oh, hey, is anything interesting what's new with you? Just kind of fishing around, and she came right out, and she's like, yeah, I found this app where I can message, I got a pen pal, this girl's in prison. <laughs> And then uh, she was so open about it. I thought, oh, cool. Well, what have you asked her? We chatted about it for a bit. But again, it's, it's, uh, you know, when I was 13, I grew up on a farm out in the middle of nowhere. We had two television channels and I read a lot of books and I had a, I had a, a perception of the United States being from Canada. You know, we, we probably think of the U.S. like a little brother thinks of the big brother. We're kind of always wondering what you guys are up to. 
because <laughs> we get so much media from you guys and, and stuff. So it, it, there's a fascination, at least for myself. And it's just interesting to see how my daughter, she's like, yeah, she's this prisoner's down in Florida. And, you know, it's captivating to her. It's, it's, uh, it's exotic, I guess, to some degree. Yeah. Um, like, what was the genesis of that? Like, her friends were just talking about it. And they were like, hey, it's a cool way to, like, help someone who's lonely or they're trying to hear, like, gang stories and get inside oh, of it. Yeah, so, like, she likes true crime TV on Netflix. Okay, right. And then she's probably, you know, God only knows what she's doing on the Internet, plunking around the Internet, like, and probably came across a website. Hey, you can, a person, so there's a, there's a website. You can have a prisoner pen pal. Yeah, I'm sure you could back in pre-Internet days, too. It's just a lot harder to achieve, right? Yeah, like, randomly just write a letter and say. Yeah, so yeah. Then, you think the intentions are to hear like some crime stories then from your daughter with the prisoner? Well, you know, I, children are naturally curious yeah. and not my children aren't particularly judgmental. Nice. So I think if you take those two things and she randomly happened across a, a website, like it's like a storefront to some degree and thought, Oh, that's cool. I'd like, to, I'd like to talk to a prisoner. And so she was asking me, Oh dad, what should I ask this person and stuff? And I said, yeah, find out what she did to get herself in there. Right. <laughs> and when she asks you for money, do not PayPal her. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Man, that's, Funny. Yeah. And you can't, I'm trying to think, man, like, if you fought that, if you were like, terrible idea, don't go through with it, to take advantage of you, blah, blah, blah. It just turns to that forbidden fruit, right? And then you're almost just forcing your kid to almost to lie to you about it or, hide, or at least hide it from you and then still go through yeah, that it. Would, yeah, absolutely. That probably comes down to parenting philosophies. And I, I view myself more, you know, I'm a coach and I don't children have to figure out how to navigate the world. Right. And, you know, I'm probably not going to let my nine-year-old do that, but my 13-year-old, she knows what time it is, so to speak. Yeah. So uh, she's, yeah, and you have to trust your kids at some point. So hard. So, it, I, you know, there's that saying, trust yet verify. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, that's a lot of parenting for me is trust yet verify. Right. Would it be an issue if the prisoner was a guy? Yeah, absolutely, it would. Yeah, would you would you shut it down at that point, or would you be yeah, strong? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely, I would shut it down at that point. I think. I mean, yeah, I mean, if you just look at the stats, um, ma males make up the vast majority of prisoners. I think I I'm a big Jordan Peterson. Like I, have you, you know who Jordan Peterson is? I just didn't mention, but I don't know anything. Like I, I couldn't put him in a sentence and say something he's done. I know he's dealt with rehab. Okay. I know famous people like mention him, but I don't know. Okay, so he's come on the scene in the last few years, and he espouses personal responsibility. And um, so I listened to a lot of his talks, and he said that uh, an antisocial child at two, if they're still antisocial at four, they have a, you know, a, a really high chance of winding up in prison. Really? So just from that statistic that I heard from Jordan Peterson, um, you know, 
I think there's probably, I don't know the stats on why women wind up in prison, but I know that men wind up in prison because they're antisocial huh. and they have antisocial tendencies to some, not, I mean, that's a generalization, but, yeah. but, and then, you know, men, um, I would say it would just be, I just couldn't imagine any altruistic, anything good coming. I wouldn't let my daughter talk to a male prisoner. Absolutely not. Yeah, I know. Like, God. I no think chance of, in hell. No think, chance in hell. Yeah, I, I think of this lonely dude, whatever. I don't want to go down that thought path. Um. Yeah. <laughs> well, they're, they're, they're generally there for a reason. Yeah. But and then but women I feel like yeah it's a total stereotype I feel like I I'm just a lot more forgiving to why a woman might be in prison <laughs> yeah well you really don't see a ton of like murder with women no right like you don't well, see heinous crimes um maybe some drug convictions probably some addiction yeah. issues um maybe yeah I would say something so. like I make possibly prostitution. Like, if you, yeah. know, you don't see a lot of guys get arrested for prostitution, right? Well, I just don't feel like a woman is is going to be able to rope her into any dangerous situation from a cell in Florida. Yeah. Where And I wouldn't even let a guy try. And I don't think a, the woman... Yeah, but you're right. Maybe they're going to try to... Like, I suppose if the prisoner, female prisoner was trying to trick her into sending money, I think ultimately that would be a lesson that I would want her to have. Yeah, while she's 13 and not like 18 with a credit yeah. card or something yeah. and a driver's license. And she's like, oh, no, no, no. Yeah. She actually gets out this weekend. So I'm just going to drive down there and give her a ride home. <laughs> like it's yeah, a fucking right. prison break yeah. or something. <laughs> do, you, do you have children? I have a, a daughter who's 11. So we're probably okay. experiencing very similar things, man. Um, and are you from New York? Uh, I was born in New York, but I live in Delaware now. Oh, you in Delaware? Okay, yep. Southern That's Delaware. It is. Okay. Um, I think we have a million people total. President Biden, our president, is from Delaware. President of America. Oh, Delaware. Yeah, yeah, he uh, yeah. he has actually a house down the road, not down the road from me, maybe like eight, ten miles. He has like a beach house. Oh, really? Yeah, so it it really sucks when he comes because they have like a twenty car convoy and like ten state police uh on motorcycles. And they just shut down the highway so that he can get a straight line and fucking traffic gets backed up. It just adds like 15 minutes to your commute. And you don't know when it's going to happen. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Dude, he came down here. This was crazy. So he came down here in between. I think it was after he was elected or it might have been might have been before the inauguration. But he had Secret Service with him. So there's a bike trail. Delaware got really big into making bike trails. We have a lot of like state park land and old railroads that um, no longer service trains. So they're turning it into bike trails. So yeah, you, can, you can catch a bike trail. And then we're like, dude, let's go try to find his house. Guarantee there's like going to be a marker at where Joe Biden's yeah. house is. So we take a right and we go into the neighborhood that it's in. And there were five Secret Service people. Picture like a, a U. And he lives in the middle of the U. So there's two entrances. One, as soon as you see it, you could take a left and then back down and take a right and then get to his house. Five okay. secret servicemen, a tent set up. You're talking about like the dudes with the mirrors looking under the cars. They've got sniffing dogs out there. 
and it's just like Memorial Day weekend or something like that. Like it was, it was just a holiday. No, it wouldn't be Memorial Day weekend. Maybe it was Labor Day weekend that he came down. Oh yeah, because he was obviously the the VP for a long time. Yeah, too. nah, it was it was some holiday weekend. Maybe Martin Luther King weekend. Um, anyway, dude. So we like try. I, I trick my daughter. This is how terrible the dad I am. I'm like Shiloh, my daughter's name. I'm like Shiloh, just keep going till they tell you to stop. Take a right, see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> and she like, I would do something like that. she freezes and like stops pedaling, but her bike is still going. And then the cops come to her and they're like, yes. And she goes, oh, uh, uh. And I was like, sorry, we went the wrong way. So we That's take, such a great story. Dude, we take a left and now we're like noticing. And there's like 15 other SUVs just parked in random spots. We counted like 35 people protecting a perimeter security around the perimeter man and i've heard word of mouth that there's snipers set up like on like six seven miles out in case people try to like come in or something like that too say again yeah oh is that what it's called i think i believe yeah i heard another podcast i uh uh, another podcast I listened to called Cleared Hot with Andy Stumpf. He's an ex Navy SEAL. Okay. And he had he had a, a Secret Service woman on named uh, Evie Pompadorius or something. And I'm a huge I listen to podcasts constantly, and it's just so fascinating to hear you know a Secret Service and they were explaining you know, like I mean it, it's it's a huge industry it's, it's just a huge institution that has to protect the president. Yeah, because they get and, it when they leave too. Yeah, yeah, they get it for life, right? Yeah, yeah. Obama. I mean, Obama still. Rolling. I don't know how many, but like Obama still got a group of dudes just rolling around protecting. I would start so much shit if I had Secret Service. I'd be such. They probably won't let you. <laughs> think of living, and like think of logistically living with that. I can't like it, it's in Canada. I don't even know how it works in Canada, but it does not work like that. It, but then in, in the U.S., they have that protection because probably somebody wants to kill them. I, you would assume almost all the time, right? And it, it, it I yeah. wonder if it's that like violent gun culture um, with all the um, with all the police murder with all the police shootings that have happened that lead to murders i've been seeing a lot of like gun violence stats and it's amazing how out uh, like we're a fucking outlier man the united states and gun violence it's it's not even there's no like second country that's close it's sad and we've just almost accepted it as like the second amendment right to bear arms and i don't know where i fall because i don't know enough about weapons but at the same time, like, I don't think we should be, like, 17 times higher than the next closest nation for gun violence and death. That's not, that doesn't sound right. Yeah, I, I think it depends where you glean, like, which, which context you're going to look at it in. Like, from the gun violence, yeah, you guys are absolute outliers. But then, you know, like, from a historical point of view... Um, you've had the longest running free nation in history. So it's like, you kind of, you do wonder to yourself, absolutely. If, if there was like an authoritarian, let's say Canada got an authority. Well, some say we have an authoritarian person in named Justin Trudeau right now, (laughs) but, but 
point is, it would be very hard to fight back against the government. And I think that Second Amendment was originally part of the Constitution. So the citizenry had power over the government. Yeah, but it was like, so that's where I start sounding super liberal and I don't believe I am. But I'm like, that's back like musket to musket. How far, like, right, like maybe I could get a cannon, you could get a cannon, right? Like, dude, if I've got, what I could have 55 handguns and there could be one armored anything that rolls up here. It don't matter how many guns I have. You know, like, I, I don't believe, I've never tried, I don't believe I could buy a bazooka launcher on my own like Rambo had. And even if I did, am I going to have as many as the military at this point? So, like, I, I've always feel that argument's kind of nice to say, but it's lip service. It's kind of hollow. Like, there's no way if the, mili- if the government wanted to become authoritarian, yeah. there's no way people with weapons, farmers and the National Guard and the militia is going to stop them. We've just, it, it's such a such a developed infrastructure, our military. Oh, yeah, that's an interesting point. Well, you know, yeah, you have, it's a a trillion dollar military. A fighter jet, think think about a helicopter and a fucking Apache coming at you, and you're like trying to hold your rights and fight? I mean, like... But what what about in places like Montana? So, let's say, well, with COVID, COVID has... In certain states, we hear that there's been massive overreach, like California. Right. And, and so, and like your most conservative states, I think Florida and Texas have fully opened, and Nevada's about to. Yeah. And those, I, I would, those are, I think, even open carry in, in Nevada, maybe. I think I was in a, in a cab in Las Vegas, and the cab driver was packing heat. <laughs> so, you, so, you know, kind of, you sometimes you wonder, it's like, uh, conservative states have more liberal gun laws. That's uh, not liberal. They have more open gun yeah. laws. And then the liberals, the very liberal states, but they're able to actually shut the whole state down. Yeah, yeah. You wonder. That's. Yeah, I don't know if it's what's that causation or causal. Like, yeah. if people in California had Texas laws, would they yeah. gun laws? Would they have like started? popping off shots at cops who are telling them to not jog on Venice Beach. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, yeah. But, but I, yeah, I, I think... It makes you wonder. But I think it just goes with if you're... It's almost like if you're a mask... Remember early on, at least in America, it was like, if you didn't wear a mask, you were pro-Trump. If you wanted to wear a mask, you yeah. were anti-Trump. And it was just so divided. It's like, if you have a gun, you're for freedoms. If you don't yeah. have guns, you're, you're for government control. And it almost just seems that polar. Yeah, I think we got, do you think that we got to peak polarization or is it still going to get more polarized? No, I, I think Biden does, Biden calms a lot of shit down, man. Just being the yeah, old grandfather, him talking yeah. for a couple minutes. And you could just hear yeah. him saying like, don't sass me <laughs> when yeah. he gets upset. You know, it, Trump was, you know, a lot of Trump's policies, I like, you know, with the border laws and stuff, like, I don't really understand how you can dispute not wanting to have a a fence on your border, right? But whatever. And, but then he, Biden absolutely has calmed it down. So I think peak polarization has hit. I I do think people, yeah, no, because it's, it doesn't help anything to be so it doesn't help anything to be so anti-conversational 
and to not listen no, and to not even consider that you may be wrong and you can learn from somebody. Right. And yeah, I heard another, I think it, I heard another podcast where somebody described that this is a description. So the liberal view of COVID was, and even one life is too much to lose. And we should just keep everything shut. So one life would be too much to lose. And the conservative mentality with COVID was, um, well, it's a, it's a calculated risk that falls on the individual. Yeah. And if we lose some lives in the process, our freedoms are more important. And, but I, I, think, I, cons- I think I heard that from a, generally a conservative person. I'd be interested to hear, because up here in, where we live in Canada, we have a very, very liberal government. And they have, you know, from the first two weeks shut down, it's just, they just keep extending, keep extending. And a girl that I went to high school with, uh, or actually grade school, um, uh, you know, I won't, I won't say her name out of respect for family, but, you know, she has four beautiful children. And then the other day I just heard suicide. Oh, wow. And, and then, so this has upended lives to such a heavy degree. Like another stat I heard is that adolescent kids' suicide rates are way higher. Um, spousal abuse, you know, Obesity everything. Oh, man. And I know you're into healthy yeah. lifestyle. And something I did over COVID, I, I went on, I'm like, I kayaked because I had the time. I kayaked the Broadkill River, which is, it's not like whitewater rafting. It's more like a marshy, swampy area. Yeah. But it was beautiful. It was six hours. Like if I had a life, I never would have done that. But I just let the tide take me out my kayak for six hours. I got into, I like ran a marathon just for the fuck of it. You know, like I trained. Yeah, I was like trained. I'm like, man, let me see if I can do this. You fall in the the group of people that COVID has drastically improved their lives. Dude, I loved it. I feel so guilty. I got into stock trading. You know, like I'm I'm like, I started the podcast. I did things because I had all this time. And then when I hear about these negatives and, and the sadness, to me, that sadness, and I definitely drank more, right? I, like, that would be the one thing that kind of sucked. I might have had a six-pack, much like you, if I would have drank less. But yeah. I used so much of the time to improve, and it really it makes me sad to think that it was such a bad time for so many people. I, I got to, like, basically homeschool my daughter, man. We had activities yeah. every day. I'm doing, like, coordination. I'm teaching her how to play a little bit of basketball, how to throw a spiral, you know, like all these extra got into chess and I'm like, fuck it. We're going to fall behind, dude. Cause so many people are going to fall behind. We're going to get better. And yeah. like o- opioid deaths have outpaced COVID deaths in cities like San Francisco. Overdose. And, and it's, it's terrible. But I think then in the, so my friends who live in urban, so I, so I lived in right close to downtown Vancouver Till Boxing Day of 2019. What's Boxing and, Day? Uh, the day after Christmas. Really? Is that a? I don't yeah. think I've ever heard that. Oh, really? Yeah. Boxing what? Day. Yeah, Boxing Day is uh, December 26th. What's the What's the gist behind the name? I well, I, I thought it was a universal. <laughs> I thought. I mean, if it's on Santa's workshop wall, it's his day off, Boxing Day. I thought everybody knew that. Stop. Are you? I literally have yeah. never, I've never heard that. Really? Maybe it's a Canadian thing. I don't know. I, 
I love it. Though. Well, anyway, so <laughs> we we live urban, and we basically packed up and moved uh, six hours away two months before COVID hit. And because you had like an by, intuition or just happen chance? No, I had I had a I was sick of the city. I basically wanted to live. I needed to live life differently. Our lives had become. I had a business I didn't love. It. I had kind of been on a multi-year program to upend my life and change it. Got you. And so, lo and behold, um, two months before COVID hit, we moved. So the kids go to, to uh, they come. They the, the kids go to school for a couple months, and then it's spring break. And they come home for spring break, and they never went back to school again until September. So we live we live in paradise up in Canada. We live in uh, you know you know your Napa Valley in California. Heard of it, never been there, but yeah. Okay. So we live in the Canadian version of your Napa Valley. Oh wow. Uh, so it's it's lakes and mountains. It's very dry, and there's vineyards everywhere, and it's like really warm swimming lakes, and it's very touristy, but it's super outdoorsy. And and because of COVID, just like yourself, I. I would take my five-year-old boy on long, like three, four-hour hikes. Yeah, I bet. And and just had had a, a lot more time to spend with my kids, and um, it was it was definitely I'll never forget it as long as I live. Yeah. It was, but it was. then, yeah. I so COVID, COVID. Well, COVID absolutely drastically changed our lives it'll never like i remember i was in la when september 11th happened okay and i can remember it just like it was yesterday yeah i can even remember when princess diana died i think she died because it was summer i was laying on the floor she died in like august sometime so i've those three events in history like I, Princess Diana was a while ago. September 11th, Princess Diana didn't really change the world after it. Yeah. Everybody talked about it for a while and then it went away. September 11th, the whole the world changed and it changed to a point that it will never change back again. It's it's just part of our fabric now. Yeah, we accept um, so much loss of. It's yeah. amazing how much privacy Americans who are so pro freedom lost. Like everything's fucking monitored and we were just like for safety, sure. And it's never come yeah. back. And I think that's part of the fight with COVID. I don't mean to cut you off, but like it is one of those no. things where once you give away your freedoms and that's the counter to the whole, I understand nobody wants to see someone they love die. Once you give a freedom away, it's extremely hard to get it back. Okay. But that to the earlier point about uh, guns. That I think I I think I could be wrong. That's where the NRA is coming. Yeah. Once we give you our AR-15, then you're eventually going to get the musket. Yeah, right. And in Canada, like they, we have massive gun control up here, but we still have gangsters having shootouts all the time. So I could definitely see both arguments, but but then that. I think there's certain laws in society that they're just always going to be impossible. They're, they they kind of have to go both ways because there's no right answer. 
But again, back to the COVID thing, like we, based on September 11th, we kind of know we can, and these, uh, I, you're probably, I'm 40. Yeah, I'm yeah, born I in turned, 1980. I turned 40 this summer, my friend. Oh, cool. We're the same age. So we have memory of September 11th Dude, it, and just a, how that changed the world, right? No, you're, it, it's funny, man, how you're like, it's, my, I remember my mom talking about like kids, she remembered, she's senile now, but she remembered like being in school and crying when like Kennedy was shot. And like, okay, like, yeah. like that was her, like, she could vividly see it. It was like you're saying yesterday, and it was like 40, 50 years ago, and she's telling the story. It, it takes me immediately back to, I think I was 20. I was, at, I was at a community college. Like, I know where I watched it. And I, I don't remember many multiple parts of days. I remember moments of days. But I remember, like, oh, shit, like, 8 o'clock I was here. 9 o'clock I was here. By 11 o'clock I was here. By 2 o'clock I was here. And the day is just so itemized for me, man. It, 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 it's amazing when that happens in your mind because – if you think of September 12th, I don't know what the fuck I did September 12th. I don't know what the fuck I did September 10th. But September yeah. 11th, I could tell you about 30 different things I did. And I was... I could tell you the exact same thing. Yeah. It, it, it's crazy just, how emotionally you connect to it. I relate to that just exactly how you do. So then if you take... Uh, I think September 11th. I think COVID is just 10x of a worldwide event than September 11th. It, it's it's all over, it, and September 11th was all over the world too. But COVID is, I think, I'll never forget. I'll probably have more memories of 2020 and 20 the year 2021 than any other um, year, two year periods in my adult life. Yeah, well, because you had like the time to foster and grow those memories. It was almost like being a farmer, right. man. Like you're That's just right. like it, life got so slow and so simple. I grew up on a farm. Yeah, right. And it, it, it just seems like it would like be like just checking on whatever, a corn every day. And you just not only are you checking on it, but you're only growing like four corn stalks. <laughs> so you're just spending so much time with the corn stalk that you get to see it grow. And that that's how I looked at the COVID for me. I was like, dude, I'm basically just doing two or three things and I'm just really fucking enjoying them. And it Wow. Yeah, it's, a, it's and so what do you think, like, there's been a lot of positives from COVID, especially, you know, we're the same age, family guys, but then I hope, I hope the world goes back to full freedoms again with concerts and stuff, but I kind of think, too, you know, as we're 40 and as we um, grow in society and stuff, there's a lot of values that I got to get reinvested in that I don't want to lose again because life had become too materialistic too, and like, I feel like social media had really just put all of everything, our whole lives on steroids too. And now with COVID, it was, we can all suddenly really, I think society's agreeing that, you know what, social media has got a lot of fucking poison in it. And, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's definitely a reset for everybody. And I, but, you know, you got to have faith in humanity. So I think it's going to be a positive reset. I think it's going to be a positive. Ultimately, I hope that this is a big, I hope a lot of positivity is born out of this. And, but again, I don't know if that would be true. Is there any positivity that was born out of September 11th? Uh, if, 
if anything, I would say we became hella unified. It, it takes an enemy to unify. Uh, you know? Yeah, that's true. And, I mean, there's there's never been probably so many flags posted on trees and cars, on windows, never so much an appreciation for military servicemen and firefighters and cops. Like, it, it's amazing how cops are looked at now compared to how yeah. those first responders were looked at September 11th rushing into that building to safety. Isn't that the truth? I mean, and it, it, it's the fucking uh, complete opposite where it's like you can't even trust a cop now, but that building was on fire and every single person in there was screaming, crying for help. And every 911 caller did nothing but promise help was on the way. And the same people and- running in to help are the same people pulling people over now. And it's so fucked up how it's gotten polarized. Isn't that incredible? But think, think about that for a second. Just stop for, I like to stop for a second and think. Firefighters and cops ran in towards to that building. Towards danger, man. Fucking things collapsing. Like, Jet fuel. That's like, that's like running toward an asteroid for all intents and purposes. Like, Dude, not only did they run to that building, they ran to the second building after the yeah. first collapse. Yeah, like, Through the smoke. like, and it's the same people. It's the same people. That, and that's another with social media. It's like, it's like I get, I get that big changes and strides need to happen against racism and inequality and stuff. But, but I also think that that the same people who are leading that charge, they're as bad as some of the worst cops to some degree. They become so, they have mutated any positive message right out of it. And, and like, they're doing so much more harm than good. And, and I don't hear anybody, like, it's just sometimes, so I think social media has a way to, to call and bastardize things, unlike anything I've seen. Well, it's... It's a little bit, one of the, I forget the CNN editor, it's one of those undercover things where you put the camera like in your purse and you're talking to somebody. And they did it to Planned Parenthood where the CEO of Planned Parenthood was talking about how much she would sell like baby parts for. Did you happen to see that undercover? No. Dude, they caught this woman, I don't remember the exacts, but it was basically like she's eating a salad, sipping wine and being like, oh, I could get you like 10 fetus for like $20,000 each. Oh, I mean, do you just want... Facetiously? <laughs> no, she was like, that's what they do with the aborted fetus. They then sell them for, like, the stem cells or the tissues or whatever. And it was just, like... <laughs> it was jarring. It was this undercover film. So it just happened with one of the news directors for CNN where they were basically admitting how they pumped the fear because it's, like, a six-to-one ratio of watches and clicks. And social media oh, yeah. is the exact same way, man. Like when people get angry, they engage more. People in social media yeah. track that. And they track your, your engagement. And yeah, it's cool to scroll through and you like, you like, you like. But when do you comment? When do you pause? You look at shit that probably pisses you off and then maybe even say something. And now they're like, gotcha. And then that's what keeps you. And there's something in people that want to engage or at least view like fear. Yeah, I think that's true. Just because it's true doesn't mean it'll always be true. And, you know, if you look at the Internet, um, humanity is 
probably has a maturity of a young teenage boy on the internet today. <laughs> I hope not. You know, <laughs> I know that. And then, you know, um, and I, I would like to think, like, I certainly use the internet personally a lot more responsibly than I did even in my 20s. You know, like, I, I, I can honestly say I do not watch porn on the internet anymore. And there was a time in my life where I just couldn't believe how lucky I was to watch all the porn I could on the internet. How many, um, how many computer hard drives did you go through between stealing music and watching <laughs> porn? <laughs> how yeah, many viruses? I just remember my dad. My dad's like, "This computer doesn't work," <laughs> and it's just because I just jammed it full with a whole bunch of nonsense. <laughs> yeah, dude. I mean, that that was such a real thing. Like, how many, how many viruses? It was like. They should have just sold that, like, antivirus stuff for your computers, like STD shots. You know, like, yeah, you hand out yeah, free condoms. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. like at a clinic. <laughs> when you buy a computer, they need somebody there to, like, check your age. You're like, young 18-year-old, you're going to make a lot of bad decisions with this laptop. <laughs> Here's how you protect it. <laughs> it's true. But now, now I, like, uh, as now I'm 40, and I'm like, oh, like, and I've gotten in the last couple of years, I'd say, I used to... I used to be the one who would engage the fights on Facebook with family members. Like I was probably the most guilty one. Oh, really? Just, yeah. Like I, I would just get embroiled in a political conversation that I had no intention to finish and just rile people up. you know, like carelessly, like a fool. Yeah. And now I, I've learned, no, I'm not going to engage, retract out of that, back off that, you know, you become more mature. And, but uh, yeah. What were you doing it for? Were you just trying to see their response? No, no. Genuinely, when, you know, in, you know, 2008, 2009, 2010, it was a new thing. And, you know, you go on Facebook and make a, you make a comment. I just didn't have the understanding and the perception of how far it reached. So, you know, it's like, and also, you know, if, if I like, I'll go outside after this and sit down and talk with my friends and you can kind of slip in a, a tr- quote unquote trollish comment, or you can slip in a sly comment and then you can smile at them and it'll completely take the weight of it away. And you kind of both smile at each other, wink and nod. Yeah. That's impossible to do on the internet, but it's still possible to make that same comment and it just lands totally differently on the internet and yeah i'll fully admit that um yeah i've been i i i hope one day my great great grandchildren are mining my behavior on facebook when it came out and i'll have to i'm gonna have to write a letter and just apologize for my behavior on it dude i just you just inspired one of the greatest ideas that i have that we need to plant right now trademark we're claiming this you and me lars you know Ancestry.com to figure out, yeah. like, who you are? We need a yeah. digital ancestry. So, like, 40, 40 generations down the line, we're going to sell the great-grandchildren times 30. Oh, my God. Family's that's that's digital a non-fungible history. token. What? That's like a non-fungible token. Is it? See, that, that NFT, that's where I got old. I understood Bitcoin. I almost bought it $2,000, dude, but I was like, ah, I don't get the concept. So I don't want to buy it. I still don't get the concept. NFT. I'll tell you a podcast that I just listened to. 
on NFG Bitcoin that it, it took me from just an immigrant in a land that I didn't understand the language to uh, a regular guy in the neighborhood having conversations and understanding it. Really? Okay. Yeah, I'll send it to you. It was, and I, I've been, so I've been, I started po- listening to podcasts in, from the Joe Rogan. Yeah, right. And 20, really, I probably got hard into it in 2015, 2016. And I, I got to say, it's like, it's been really transformative. I, that, and this is the first podcast I've ever been on. So thank you. Nice. Dude, that's hilarious. So, and good for, good for you for doing it. It's, because like, you know, you and I are essentially peers. We're close to the same age. We're family guys. And, you know, you just reach out across the social media platform and then we get to sit down and have a conversation. There's a lot of power in that. Yeah, and it's, it's, I found it, I don't know, I almost wonder am I antisocial because I don't know if I would do this shit, like, in person. And originally, I think I was telling you before we were recording that, like, my original goal was to go around, I live in a touristy area, to just randomly, yeah. like, I was going to go sit in, like, an oil change Meineke. And, like, people were sitting there for, like, 40 minutes, and I was going to have two mics, and I was going to be like, hey, I do this thing. Do you want to come on here and just, like, let me get to know you. Do you mind telling me some stories about yourself? And that was, like, my original idea. And I've been amazed, man. Like, I've had circus dudes on from Spain. I've had, like, English ex-Navy SEALs who were on nuclear subs. (laughs) I've had, yeah, I mean, I've had, like, life coaches from Puerto Rico. I think I've had almost... 15 Canadians. One of the fucking sickest artists I've ever seen is a Toronto artist from Canada. Um, people, people from the Peace Corps, you know, like like yogis, yeah. all sorts of just an eclectic view of the world where it makes me think about shit that you normally sure. don't get to think about because it's a lot like social media where personally you have your echo chamber and you have your cool. routines that you fit, fit into. And like you and I, we didn't even message about what we we're going to talk about. Like you don't, you don't know. Totally organic. Yeah, you totally don't organic. know. And it to me, that's kind of one of the coolest excuses to just try to go around and talk to different people. I was talking to a guy um in the Texas Army yesterday, actually. I just posted, and um, he's a height twenty eight year old, six four, two forty, like ex football player, and he's like super into discovering the truth and very right wing. And then you get to hear, and really, he just it came about because he was so into sports, and when sports got taken away from him, he felt lied to his whole life. He felt like sports were going to wow. fulfill him, and he was like, it was wrong. But that's a true, and that's a true, I'm, I got friends who, who came out of junior hockey up in Canada with those same feelings. So that, and that's a, that's a, that's a thing in our societies where young men come out of sports and they tapped out and never really got anything for it. And they're kind of like, I think they, their, expe- their expectations weren't met. Yeah, well, because you get lied to, right? Like, give it all to the game, get back, you're great, you're blah, blah, blah. And it's like, I don't know, man. Like, if that's all that's filling you, um, it's probably not the healthiest thing. But, but have you, has anything ever happened in your life where you felt ripped off in a major way? Interesting. A couple parking tickets. I felt like I was right. <laughs> Where I was like, man, you're fucked. There was no sign. Bullshit. Um, it's not that I haven't had adversity. Maybe I'm just not ambitious. So I'm either really, really skilled 
uh, or I'm really good at setting reasonable expectations, or okay, I, got I have, or I have zero ambition, and I'm just like, okay. Eh. Okay, I got one for you then. So after this, if there's one takeaway I would like for you to have, this, you got to check out Jordan Peterson. Okay. So he, Jordan Peterson has a lot of really smart things to say. And I found a lot of value. In it. One of the things he says is, I'll probably get it wrong, but the gist of it is, you should, you should try to carry as big as a burden as you can without breaking. So what it means is in your life, you should take on as much as you can for no matter what you do, you should like try your absolute hardest. Take, like if you're, whatever your vocation is, if you're going to go to work at a gas station tomorrow morning, Jordan Peterson says, Go and put your absolute heart and soul into it. Wake up early, make your bed, arrive five minutes early, and just put 100% of your effort into that job. Or if you're, whatever it is, if you're a parent, if you're a coach, if, if you're a, a, a pastor or a community leader, just he really espouses honesty and personal responsibility. And he says, in, in the, for the people around you, you should take on as much as you possibly can. So to what you said, you know, maybe that's a sign that you can take more on than you've ever dreamed of. I'm sure it is. Because hopefully you can handle it. I'm just lazy. I'll be honest with you. I'm just lazy. I got that island life. I got that beach life, man. I'm growing up by, I'm not growing up, but I live in, yeah. So yeah, it's right on the, yeah, basically I've said, 10 miles um, could be 40 minutes with traffic sometimes, which sucks. But yeah, I mean, definitely I teach in the school. I'm a teacher and I teach in the school that's um, the beach district. So it's very, I'm a middle school reading specialist. So sixth, seventh, eighth grade. That's, that's such a primarily important job. Yeah. And middle school is so overlooked. It's awesome. It's like the middle kid that gets no attention. And we kind of get to get away with everything because everybody's so worried about their kids early on in elementary school and like helicoptering. And then in high school, it's like credits and real life. And like, you got to worry about like fucking pregnancies and drug use and all this shit. And in middle school, it's like, if your kid can just kind of be happy, most parents are okay because they're so hormonal anyway. They just don't want extra what ages is middle school? Uh, six, seven, eight. So about eleven to thirteen, fourteen. Okay. Yeah. Oh wow. Yes, I. I think. So my my daughter, my eldest daughter, had one male teacher in her whole, from kindergarten to grade eight. Oh, no way. That guy, That guy. She learned more with him than she has in maybe all the other years of her school combined. See, you're just exposing your own gender bias right now. I'm going to stop you. No, I didn't mean this male. I meant, I didn't mean because he was a guy. I just meant as a teacher. He was a phenomenal teacher, this guy. Probably because he was a guy. And not, no, it wasn't that. That's what it, was. it was just because he was just good at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but no, my, my, my son, my son's kindergarten teacher, she's amazing. Best kindergarten teacher any of my kids have ever had. 
And but the adults have a you want other adults to impact your kid's life. It's super important. You can't do it on your own, man. You, no, you can't. You, and you don't it's realize not, you're it. not a, you're not enough. No, you could never be enough. Well, you because you can't be everything because it takes away no, from you, you just can't. being a parent, right? Like a parent has yeah. to have some sort of parental limits. You, you, it, it's, so I also coach basketball and okay. I, I've had, it, it's interesting to watch, especially youth because I coach in the middle school. So I'll see some kids in the youth and most youth programs are coached by a, a dad or a mom, but yeah. typically a dad for bas- boys basketball. And it, it it can lead to a lot of unhealthy relationships, man, because it's very hard. I don't coach my kids. Do you? I, I, I haven't coached my kids okay. because I just think that they get more from another adult. 100%. What would you coach your kids in? Is it hockey? Like what? Hockey. Hockey. Yeah, so my three of my kids, all my three oldest kids all play hockey. How hard? Hockey where we live is it was really it's like breathing air absolute. for us <laughs> yeah it, it's like it's the only time i feel that you're going to make canadians kind of aggressive and patriotic and and a little bit kind of fuck you when it comes to hockey like and I'm, that's what like like Amer- american like you guys your country is so incredible like, look what Elon Musk is doing right now. And he says this could only happen in the U.S. Like, the United States, for sure, maybe it gets a lot of bad press at different times. But if you look at it from a historical point of view and everything it's done, it's just an absolutely incredible country. It makes it, In hockey, there's a saying, the best players make all the other players on the team better. Mm-hmm. And... Absolutely, the U.S. has made the world a better place through its technology and stuff. So, so I, I, I'm a, I'm a U.S. fanboy, which is I don't know if, but when it comes to hockey, that's one area where I'm like, fuck you, America, we, we got this, you, you know, like, and when our countries play each other in hockey, for me, that's more, that's better than Canada, Russia. I love when we play the U.S. in a gold medal game. Yeah, and if we beat the U.S. in a gold medal game, that's that's the pinnacle of my happiness for that year. <laughs> another, what would it, is it another Molson? What's the stereotypical Canadian beer with the red leaf on yeah. it? Is it Molson? Yeah, we have Mol. Yeah, I'm out west, so we have Kokini out here. Okay, hadn't heard of that. But yeah, I was just yeah. trying to throw another stereotype with like Canadian hockey. Oh yeah, and a Molson. Um, I'm, yeah, we're known for our beer. Did your Did your kids take to hockey? like naturally because it's just part of the culture or did you have to kind of like manipulate them to get into it? Yeah, I definitely manipulated my, so my first daughter had no interest in hockey. Loren, I asked her and she said, no, no, no. And then my second daughter came along four years later and wanted to play hockey. And then the oldest daughter suddenly wanted to play. So I finally said, yes. So that's how the, the girls got into it. And um, so my daughter, my daughters have played for a number of years. They don't play in competitive leagues yet or maybe ever, but, but they like it. And, and I think it's um, um, actually, oh, that's another interesting. So you're an educator. I, I claim to be. So I, I don't know if I am, okay. but I claim to okay, be. So I, heard a, <laughs> I heard a podcast that was, so Elon Musk, 
He has a school at SpaceX called, I think it's Ad Astra to the stars. And I heard a podcast with the person who developed Elon Musk's private school. And this, this, he developed a whole educational program with a blank check, et cetera, et cetera. So he was talking away on the podcast and he said, okay, so we teach the, the children in highly in groups and teams. So it'll be one team versus another. We give them tasks and they have to learn quickly on the fly and it's, it varies all the time. Sometimes this child will be the leader and the leadership, the hierarchy changes, it fluctuates based on skills and who can do what. And it's all measured, like it's all, the outcomes are very important, et cetera, et cetera. I was listening to this podcast and I was like, wait a second, that sounds like a, uh, I played competitive hockey from age, you know, six to 12 in our top youth leagues in Canada. And I thought that's exactly what it was. It was, we had to work in a team environment. We had to solve problems on the fly, you know, like the coach said, you've got to shut that player down, you know, it was pressure packed. And I thought, boy, it, it just gave me a real appreciation for how lucky I was to experience that because working in a, in a pressurized team environment, there are skills that you can get there that will last you your whole life. And so that back to the hockey thing. Um, yeah. So my son now he's, he just played his first year of hockey and I really hope he plays at a competitive level because it's a special thing to learn how to get along in a team environment when there's skin on the table, when there's skin in the game, it's a pressure. Everybody wants to win and you have to solve problems and you have to, you know, get into a really hardworking routine and, and actually, I guess to feel, to be in a group in a team environment and over a long, in a, over a long period of time, see improvements within that team environment and also feel your own personality within that environment. Yeah. I think that's a tough experience to beat for children. Dude, I love, my daughter currently is playing lacrosse, which is, I believe oh, yeah. I read a statistic that it's 50 times better than hockey. I don't know where I read that, but I'm almost positive that's true. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but, <laughs> but one of the reasons she's into running, she's run some cross country and she has some good form, right? Okay. She's got stamina and she plays some field hockey as well. So I'm like, you've got to do something where you're a part of a team. You can't just run all the time. She wants to run because she's good at it, right? She wins some races and all of a sudden kids want to, I'm a runner. That's my identity. And I'm like, no, what you're going to do is you're going to go to something that you kind of suck at right now, which is throwing and catching. And you're going to learn to get better. And either you're going to put in the work to get better or you're going to deal with the embarrassment of, I suck, but I have to come out here. And either way, it's going to be a win. You're going to get tougher. <laughs> either way, you're going to learn how to like, un- how to cope emotionally when people don't throw you the ball because they don't trust you to catch. Or you're going to come home and you're going to be like, I'd really like them to throw me the ball more. Can you help me catch better? And I'm like, dude, that's a very important thing is letting your kid fail and deal with that experience. To, yeah. to get that resiliency. And I, I, on some level, I, I totally think they agree want with it. Completely. Yeah, it's what? I, I think they want it. I don't think they just want to be successful. I think kids want that weird feeling they, of adversity. I think they kind of like the fear and the trepidation. 
They do, and and I think it starts physically. Like children, I don't. I mean, I'm not, obviously I'm not a bloody child psychologist, so I'll just speak completely out of turn. But or. children don't have a conscious idea of what they're mentally learning when they're learning language. Yeah, they don't know. They they could they don't know what the hell they're they're doing at a terrific rate. I might add. But when a child learns to walk, they know what they're trying to do. They, as a child learns to walk, like my kids learned anywhere from 16 months to 10 months in that gap. So I've seen it four times, and it's a hell of a thing to witness. It really is. It is, it is trial and error almost every waking moment physically. From from the from basically as soon as they come out, and as soon as they walk, they they now can get their their so a child's environment when they begin walking, it it hundred x's. Yeah. So you know when they're no. Well, I, I just want to add because it's interesting when you talk about the environment. What parent when their kid walks and they fall and hurt themselves said never do it again. No, 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 no. That was too dangerous. You're not going to do that. And no, name, no, not. name the kid that tried walking one spell and was like, fuck this. I'm going to sit in this wet diaper and be cool on all fours. Like, there's you're, something you're, that you're changes. you're exactly right. Right? Like, something happens in life where we lose that ability to just go you're balls right. to the wall to walk. And the, whether it's the environment of support where we feel... I can fail as much as I need to fail and I'll get there because I'm supported and loved and encouraged to fail or like my inner desire to see something that I feel is better. I'm going to do whatever it takes to get there. Like it's in us, right? It's in human. And then all of a sudden it's gone at some point. And then you're like 600 pounds drinking beer all day, watching TV and like life's done. And you're like, what happened? <laughs> I grew up completely about? atheist. And oh, no Jordan Peterson is just, so I've started to read, reading the Bible. And not because I'm, I go to Christian churches or anything like that. Basically, I'm just interested to see what the hell's in it. <laughs> and I, a lot of what I, it's hard reading, by the way. And a lot of what I'm reading is, there's a lot of messages in it that, that you kind of have a responsibility to live courageously and fearlessly and try really hard at things. That's like, like I'm a lot from Deuteronomy. Now I'm in another chapter, but I, I, I keep picking up different. I'm like, well, that's kind of the same message. Well, that's kind of the same message. And I think it's, it's a really fundamental law of, of nature like like an animal an animal's got no snooze button yeah they have to get up and they have to fucking go balls to the wall every every calorie that they expend for survival and humans our our massive brains have completely created almost an all uh, an endless all-inclusive for a lot of us and it's, it's it, you know, get existentially lost to the point of oblivion. It's like, it's not, I don't know where to go. People don't even know how to get there anymore. And, but certainly, you're, to your point, you're 100% right. We've lost it because 
we've even the most derelict people, unless they've had an accident or a, a, a spinal defect or whatever, everybody learns to walk. Like it's it's not a technology that only some of us get. We all pretty much across the board learn to walk, and we all pretty much do it whether we have a 71 IQ or 120 IQ. Based on from what I've seen, you know, we do it within four months of each other for the most part. So there's a law, there's a lesson there somewhere. <laughs> Dude, no, yeah, and I really think that the, I don't know, I don't know if it's naivety to like disregard because babies are so self-centered, right? Their universe is so small that they don't have any fear of going viral for falling on their face and people laughing at them. They don't have any fear of the consequence of failure. They're just so in the moment. And so many people, especially me coaching kids, the thing that fucks them up the most is the fear of the what if of the day. They're going to say something. I'm going to have to hear it from them. They'll talk about me later. And it's like, well, who's really? the day, man? And sometimes the kids don't even know. But they don't, the children, the kids I coach and even teach, they don't want to share something. They don't want to do something for fear of not the failure, but for the judgment of the failure. And I don't that think, I, I don't, I, like when kids are walking, like they have no fear of judgment. Like kids will fart at dinner. They'll, they'll throw up on you. You're changing a diaper. They piss on you. Like they don't, they don't care. And it's like, no. and they're free. Right. And it somehow we lose that freedom. And I really feel a lot of it is because of judgment that you fear judgment for your actions. And you don't have enough like safety in your life. You don't have enough security. You don't have enough like solidification of you're okay no matter what. Go ahead. Well, I'm glad you said that because um, I could, you know, you got, I try to stay open to learning things and. I definitely didn't grow up in a household like that. There was failure in the household we grew up in. If you know, you got a lot of shit. If you didn't perform your work on the farm or, you know, you, there was, it was never a conversation. Hey, it's okay to fail. And, and, uh, that's been a big struggle in my own life with, with hiding, you know, shame, hiding failures, um, pride that it's, I could, you know, definitely I can look back into my twenties and parts of my thirties where I wasted a lot of time and effort in, in, in the useless fear of what others would think if I didn't do something. It's fucking exhausting, man. Yeah. It's stupid because that person's probably thought of you for two seconds. You thought about them thinking about you more than they ever thought about you to begin with. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I don't know what happened. Um, the only thing I can think of is maybe you feel isolated or you don't feel supported at some point in your life. But I think almost every person, maybe it's just a cognitive thing to make us survive. Maybe we would just keep doing stupid shit. Maybe we would be the people to be like, you know what? I could fly. I know no one else has done it, but fuck them. They're stupid. I can do this. And like, we would just jump off the shit and try to fly all the time. And maybe it's some yeah. like mechanism, some trigger that's made within us to keep us alive. Like we need to be risk takers for so long. And then we yeah. need to get like, be cognitively aware of consequences like fire, right? 
we shouldn't just keep touching yeah. fire or trying to blow things up or like touching bears. At some point, you have to face consequences. Yeah, right. Like you can't Otherwise, keep on a tiger's tail, right? You don't want well, your that, kid growing up like that. And like, and again, back to the hockey analogy. Like, to, I, I remember, I can still remember winning and losing. There's a few hockey games I remember losing, and there's a few hockey games I remember winning. And the pain of losing, and and just the, just in the first few minutes after the buzzer went in the third period, and you'd just been in an absolute war for a whole third period trying to catch up, and then it was almost a fear, like a panic that, fuck, no, we actually fucking lost. Yeah. We can't, it, you can't turn that back, it's gone. And then, and then the, in, on the other side of the coin, a victory that was, you know, you play series and it took a month or two to get the final big trophy. And it, it was just like, wow, and what could be better than this? And, but that, so to speak, is a lot of life. It, like, you know, you, you there's a lot of winning and a lot of losing in life. Yeah, and you got to deal with both, right? That, that's successful yeah, yeah, people yeah. can cope with both. I'm yeah. super curious, growing up atheist, um, how do you get morals in your life? Is it just like capitalistic-based morals? Is that why the you can't fail or fuck up things? But then again, if you're growing on a farm, are you really capitalist? I don't, that's I don't a know. Great question. Don't, yeah, I'm just I curious. can tell you, I can tell you that I had... Uh, that so it depends I guess it would depend on what you mean by moral so ah. definitely there was an element of how much can we get away with but then it was also like well I'm not a criminal so there's there's a bunch of things I won't do but I, but if I had to be totally frank um, I I absolutely could have used more morals young and it would have saved me a lot of time because you know like life is a series of habits and you repeat things and you know i started i mean i started drinking alcohol for i think 13 was my first drink and i um, last june i haven't had a drink since last june was i an alcoholic yeah sure Uh, sure okay but Am I one today? Well, it depends who you ask, but no, I, I don't, I don't ever even think about it. In fact, if I see people drinking, I, I would sooner drink a cup of shit today. <laughs> you, I, there, there, I'll never drink again. And it's just because I feel like I've wasted time doing it. And I don't want to waste any more time. So, so without growing up atheist, absolutely. I think the world at a certain point, when it came to morals and stuff, was just a little bit too open, a little bit too open to interpretation. I personally believe, my parents did a great job, people do the best they can, but I personally believe if I, I could have been given a bit more of a solid footing in that area, because I spent um, some years of my life building it up for myself and my children. And if I, if I think if I hadn't had my children, it never would have occurred to me how important it was. Just morals or like Christian morals? 
golden rule type stuff or the consequences for being I, a dick? Because, like, part of the morals is, like, karma, right? Like, it's going to come back to bite you. You could... But at the same time, I'm thinking now, I'm like, you could be an atheist and just be a physicist and say, like, for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction, son. So if you steal from one person, that means something will be stolen from you. And you don't have to be God-fearing to fear repercussions. So I've never thought about it before. So I'm kind of just thinking out loud. But I don't know. I'm sorry, but, like, I wouldn't know how to justify to my kid, like, be nice. If you weren't like, if here's there wasn't some God out there being like, that's the right thing to do. <laughs> here's how I think about it. There's also a lot of religious people out there who were given the, the moral handbook young, and they don't operate with any code at all. They probably don't even, they think they do, but they don't. They're ignorant to what true morals are. So personally, personally, I think that a person should endeavor to, to be more honest and to try harder and to do better every day. I think, it, I think morals are a way to live and, a, and there's something to build. I think a person's morals should be built. So have, something I think about a lot right now is that little voice in your head, your conscience. <laughs> so like, what the hell is that? And I remember, like, I remember shooting a bird when I was a kid with a 22. That was quite eight or nine. And I, like, I saw the thing dying in the dirt for my own enjoyment. And my conscience, I remember my conscience saying, that's a shitty thing to do. But then I also thought, well, people hunt and I should just get used to this. And I should, I should just shut that off because I'm probably going to kill other things in my life. And I, could, I, I think about that a lot because, because I think a child should be encouraged to develop their own morals. Well, so what do you think about how do you, if you don't feel good about doing that, well, you know, that's not where the conversation stops. I think, I think a morals would be a well-developed um, sense of a conscience and a conversation with yourself about what is right and wrong. So you have it's that a, trust. A, you have that trust, like within. Well, you have a trust that within each person, there's this compass that's going to guide them. Well, I, I think most people. I mean, it's literally. I notice that, like, my truck is messy right now, and it's been nagging on me for a couple days. It's it requires me to spend an hour on it. And that's like such an asinine example, but, but then like my relationships with my siblings and, and stuff, it's like, well, like, so I recently, at Easter, I made a, just a passing joke about my sister was talking about um, how she eats healthy and, and I was kind of flippant to her ideas and stuff. And I, when I left that, I thought to myself, I could have acted more respectful in that interaction. And I lived vast amounts of my time where I just justified all my own behavior. I never questioned it. And certainly a conscience is, is a tool to question your own behavior. And if you're questioning your own behavior, it's going to come down to, was that a right move or a wrong move? And having grown up in a, in a very atheist household, 
the right and the wrong for me personally, my sibling, I hope my siblings hear this and like, Oh, that loser, you know, that stole him. I'm the youngest of four, but maybe they found the right and wrong a lot easier than I did. I, it, I have had to search um, harder than my siblings for sure about what is right and wrong. What was like, so what was like a, a non-negotiable or a standard or, or a moral that was emphasized in the home? You had to work hard. My dad, my dad's main, and my dad comes about it really righteously. He, he believes most of life's problems can be solved just by working hard, and it doesn't matter at what. And that's worked, I would say that's worked pretty well for my dad overall. And, but for myself, um, I've spent years of my life working hard in the wrong direction, and that didn't work out well for me. I had to find a direction I really believe in and then start working hard. So, I, so you know, that, that the, if the one constant in life is change. The ground shifts all the time. <laughs> and, and I, you know, so my... My mother, she was very uh, feminist, ideological, and I would say their their religion is politics, because I see they they partake in politics with a religious fervor. They protest things that happen in the U.S. that don't affect us. But they're popular, right? <laughs> you know, it's like, and and their intentions are very good. Like they're good people trying to do right. Yes, but but for me, um, I I'm trying to spend time every day talking to my own conscience. Like, what's because when when you peel back the surface, um, things are deep and complicated. And, and it's so easy to make a choice that you assume to be right, and you spend no time actually talking to yourself if it is right or wrong. And if you accumulate that over years, it can turn into a terrible mess. And that, that for me, that was like I grew, when I grew up, the drinking culture on Friday and Saturday nights with the boys. Oh, yeah. That was promoted and allowed. As long as you had your work done, you can go out with the boys. And I don't think my dad grew up in that environment because I see now of all the my friends from high school, that drinking culture that was such a great thing to do in our 20s in high school, for a lot of people, it spiraled out of control. And to the point that they don't really get even a, a weekend. There's no growth. Are they alcoholics? Who cares? There's no more growth. That they've rang that bell so many times that it's become stagnant. You, you, you could never go anywhere. You, it could never go anywhere valuable. It's waste. And so, so I think if you listen to your conscience, and my those same friends have all told me they've expressed kind of like a, a, a guilt that they're still doing the same thing. And it is surrounded with alcohol. Are they alcoholics? That, to me, they're just 
out of touch with their conscience. Hmm. And I was one of the worst ones of it all. It was so I think I think you know, in your forties I think you've got to be absolutely careful about about what you spend your time on and how you and how you think about it. Like I think you've got to start getting a little bit patient and, and better. A little bit better. Try to be better and more spiritual and smarter because we have these brains and this experience and I, if we if we think about things from a longer term from a over the long term it changes our behavior because I'm like I don't want my son to drink how I did I was in car accidents in my teenage years we were wild country boys I don't want that for him I don't want my daughter climbing into a car driven by some wild teenage boy. Yeah, dude, talk about, I mean, how many dads would punch themselves if they could time travel and, like, they came to pick up their daughter for a date, right? Me, me. <laughs> fucking, this is why we need me. gun rights, because <laughs> I'd shoot myself <laughs> if I fucking asked my daughter out, <laughs> right? Like, that's... That's a very it's that that's another cultural thing that's just so weird, man. You grow up and you enjoy it and it's right, and then you're like, but my kids, I want to spare them from it. You know, like, but then will they? But will they get the realization that you have now? Or at forty, because they didn't do it in their twenties, will they then go out and seek it? Is it something in their nature that will go find the fun time? Also, I don't know. And all I can do is is genuinely do the best I can today. And but but what if I did nothing? Then if I did nothing to be better, then whatever happened to me, I would feel like I deserved it. And I don't know if I could withstand that. But if something happened, if my son dies in a drunk driving accident at 19. I will know that I did everything I could up until that point to prevent it. Yeah. So maybe I can go on. Yeah, that's a good thing, God. Um, we, uh, and I don't know enough about it around the area. We actually um, just had a teenage girl, I believe she is 15, die. They were on a gator, basically like a goat. Well, yeah, yeah. Five, yep. five girls out there being stupid, 15 to 17, took a curve way too fast. Things flipped. Oh, One of them passed. Three of them were seriously hurt. And it's, it's devastating. And my mind as a parent immediately goes to the mother. And you just think of like, how the fuck do you have breakfast? How do you do laundry? Can you imagine doing laundry oh. and coming across her what, pair of jeans or her hoodie or something? Like, you just think of the day-to-day things that you could take for granted. Like, there's a cup or a dish somewhere that's gonna, that you know that was her cup. And, like, how do, you, how do you compartmentalize? And I think you bring up a great point of conscience for a parent is if you feel you had some part in that, I don't know if there is coming back. Where if you feel you've given your all to give your kid an opportunity and they just made a mistake and it's tragic, I think you can come back and you can still function as a person because losing a kid, I mean, I, I, how, how do you come back if you have that guilt? 
on top of the law. Uh, I hadn't uh, thought about it. I'm sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, but I think that I I had not thought about coming back from it, and I think it's just a valid point. Like, if if you... It's monumental. But, and it speaks to the fact that our lives have become so comfortable, I think we forget sometimes what stakes are being played out minute to minute, right under the surface. And I... I generally am aware. I try. I try to be aware of that and be willing to 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 get after it and to make. If there's a hard decision, like it's it's a it's a satisfying way to live when you are when you're genuine genuinely putting out a lot of effort. Yeah. That's and that's a that's a new th- in my life I'd say that's new for me in the last couple of years I I feel like I've gotten better at it and it's a good way it's a better way to live than the alternative I I've lived that way too which was more nihilism you know what let's live for the weekend let's be wild let's not think about let's not think about things I've lived that way too and I I would never go back to that. I'm curious when you had said you were working in the wrong direction. So like work ethic, I think most parents who, I shouldn't say care about their kids, but care about their kids, want to instill work ethic, right? Like you want your kid to be productive. I feel most people do. But why yeah. did, what were you doing that was in the wrong direction? Well, I had, a, I had a, a company that I had gotten it to what I thought was a successful size. But it, I was, I think I had done the entire thing out of ego and default. I don't, I don't think I ever sat down. I know I did. I didn't ever sat down, made a decision about what I wanted and put the work in to get there over the long term. I did very well by kind of taking the default. I had a drywall company. I started drywalling when I was 20 and then we were in the big city. We had 50 people working for us. And I quickly felt imprisoned by it. And, I, and then it, become, you become, it becomes a, a den of lies. Because if you don't love something, then why are you doing it? Cash money, man, and, to get that Napa Valley home, bro. Got to get that extra truck, man. That. It wasn't enough. For I me. need another shirt. What are you talking about? That, that Let me get that second home. And I realized I, I chased that successfully yeah. for a long time. It's a trap. And I just, I, it, and when I woke up to it, uh, it, it was a chore. It was a, it, it is a painful chore. It's been a painful chore to unwind it all. And, and it's I, to some degree. I'm still unwinding it, but I'm in charge of my own process now. So, and to, you know, to be, I remember when I started the journey at 30, I think I was 37. I kind of had admitted to myself that, you know, I I don't live, I don't really like where I live. I don't want to live in the city and I don't want this business, but shit. Oh shit. But I have a huge mortgage and three kids. Yeah. 
So I who are all that, at least you don't have to pay for their college because they're all going to be professional hockey scholarship people. Yeah, well, <laughs> the fingers are crossed. Still. <laughs> See, no, but that it, it's an interesting. I, I shouldn't have cut you off with my smart-ass remark, but it's an interesting pressure because you do want to escape it, but at the same time, you have this responsibility in your mind of like provision. And this is our lifestyle. This is what we're accustomed to. I can't, it's, it would almost be like, um, you could justify it by saying, I'd be selfish if I stopped. Yes. That's the, that's, that our counter argument. It, that's the one I face. I still face it. However, even if I kept going, I could have still been wiped out. And I felt at my age, I had the energy to pull it off, but I knew I'd be wiped out in my 50s if I kept going because I knew I'd lose my youthful energy sometimes. And I saw other men and I saw other men wiped out in their 50s. What do you mean so wiped out? Uh, divorce, stagnant, detached from their kids. They've just given... 30 years into a business that maybe their dad handed them and they had to make boat payments for 30 years. And these are moderately wealthy people. I, I know a guy who was wiped up and I, I just absolutely knew that I want, I didn't want to be that person. I knew that I wanted to live. I didn't know. I, I knew I wanted to live differently. I didn't want to live like that. So then, you know, but, but you have to get rid of all the truck payments. Yeah. You have to get rid of the big mortgage. You have to fire the nanny. You have to stop going out for the dinner. Did you really have a nanny? We had a full-time live-in nanny who worked three shifts, three shifts a day. And at the end, it was cast. At the our household in Vancouver came apart like the fall of the Roman Empire. It. Uh, I. But. But I kept my I kept my kids through it. I just lived for my kids. Just keep them going. And right now I'm in the middle. Now I'm in in divorce land. And and but I'm like I'm excited by it. And you know it's you know you have to if you throw your hat in the ring and you're willing to do your best. And then life is, I'm not really afraid of what life has to offer anymore because I'm like, fuck it. I'll get up every day at five o'clock and I'll work my ass off in the right way. And eventually I'll get what I want. I, and you threw the divorce thing in there. Now I feel weird with my thought process because I have to know, I don't know if it's insensitive, but I have to Ooh, like, shoot. shoot. The, the asshole in me wants to know how much does a full-time nanny <laughs> like what is that salary because i may want that job at some point what was yeah, that, that, you know, that, was, that was that's three thousand dollars a month plus free rent in your home holy shit dude and um and probably food too you know, right like they're just they're i'm like are they cooking as well or do they just get to graze no, no, they, she ate her own food, but, you know, like, bonus for a plane ticket back to her country at Christmas. And, 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 and trying to make life comfortable for everybody. 
and and my life's completely uncomfortable. <laughs> and and just the futility of that and the stupidity of it. When and I wasn't raised like that. I was I wasn't raised like that. That doesn't sound remember, like a farmer growing up that you no, would end up with no, a nanny. No, it wasn't. It and and but without a moral compass, you can easily find yourself in a variety of situations that will surprise you. But I think with a solid moral compass, I think the situations even out a lot. I don't think you, you know, I know that. I know that to be true. Yeah, you bring it's. We've mentioned the moral compass a couple times, and I'm kind of curious. Company-wise, the moral compass, you just really thought you were going to be, like, it was just sucking up your time. You weren't enjoying it. I guess I'm wondering, like, what was the wake-up moment where you were like, I'm getting rid of a $3,000 a month. If you have a $3,000 a month nanny, I'm assuming this is one profitable drywall business. Like, this thing had to be fucking booming. Well, yeah, it boomed for years. We, you know, we did... um, we did three, four million dollars a year in work. Wow. And we we lived we went through the height of the Vancouver real estate boom. I worked for um so I worked I, I worked for a guy, a Chinese military he was ex Chinese military and he had three homes in a neighborhood where all the homes are five to fifteen million dollars. <laughs> so so I could write a book about the excess of that time period of my life. And it, um, yeah, it, you know, it, it did, it didn't take much to get a lot of money, but if you, no matter how much you have, if you're wasting it, well, that's a, a fool, a fool and his money are soon parted. Right. Yeah. Um, when your employees start overbilling you, it just becomes a den of thieves, and you're a thief too. Yeah, right. Everybody's you just know, milking that cow. It's just, it's just a terrible position to be in, and and you know, certain industries are rife with it. Drywall, roofing, you know, yeah. they're rife. The, with go- it. the government, and, right? Like a, a hammer's five hundred dollars. Yeah. That's like a classic Independence yeah. Day line. Yeah, absolutely. So is that like the moral compass? You just start, like, did you actually start feeling bad padding whatever quotes or something that you gave to people? Or like being like, hey, we we put up whatever. And I know shit about drywall. We put up 10 pieces of drywall, but you bill them for 20. Well, it wasn't like that. So what it was was um, the builder that you're submitting a quote to he wants to use you, so he tells you the price to submit. Okay. So basically, the end the end payer, the homeowner, he's paying an inflated bid. He didn't. You took a choice away from him uh, because the builder, and it's just rife through construction. I don't want to use that guy. He's too cheap. Okay. So it's there, and from based from what I see, seventy five percent of organizations are not very honest and 25% are completely honest. That's my experience. 
So, but why do you I, care, man? You're, you're a capitalist. You're flush with cash. Why do you care about taking advantage of some homeowner? Get the money. Like, why? Why, well, why care? I'll, t- I'll tell you why. Because, because I have pride in myself. I'm, and I'm competitive, and I think I can win fairly. And, I'm, and, and I think the men, the greedy men I saw that really justified their own behavior... If the end of the world comes, I can wipe them all out. But the principled men, the principled men who are honest, they're going to be a fucking tough battle. Those guys are tough. And I would, I just didn't want to be in a shitty category. I want to be, I want to be in an honorable category. Interesting. And hopefully I'll get there one day. Dude, that's such an old soul thing. Like, I, I don't know, man. Like, I, to me, I think it would take like a near-death experience to get me to that kind of mindset. I don't know. I, I don't know why I'm like keep thinking for like the, the moment of like what I would see in a movie. So you said like I could write a book. I'm picturing it as a movie. And like this is the watershed moment where you become a monk and you shave your head, right? And you're like tending to a rock garden all day. I know it's not that extreme, but I'm like, it, can you put in your summer, finger in the summer? In the summer of 2016, I started going for walks all night long, and I just wrote myself a list. I said, "There's." I started listening to Jordan Peterson, and I just knew that I had to remove. I was like, I had to stop doing certain things in my life, and I, I just, I felt my conscience was telling me. To live differently, and I—I I was just ashamed of who I'd become. I just didn't value anything I had. I wasn't proud of it. I didn't like it. It didn't feel good to me. And whatever successes that I might have looked like I had didn't. Once you remove the ego, well, once you even understand the ego, I don't even know if I removed my ego today. But I know that I have a handle. And it's such, it's a very frivolous and shallow way to live. You're, you're a slave. To and, and it's a hell of a thing. It's telling you, it's telling you what it thinks other people think of you. It's telling you what it thinks you should have to look a certain, it's my own ego was just a foolish, foolish entity. Well, and I just didn't want to be under that anymore. I didn't want to. I just wanted to sit like in control. I just wanted to be at peace. Man, that's interesting. How did the competitor in you deal with that? Were you, did you see yourself as a quitter? Did you see yourself? As, was it hard to? Whatever, see a guy with an F-350 and you're like, fuck, man, I got to roll with my F-150 now because I'm downgrading. And, like, does that kind no. of, oh, oh, shit, I'm down to 3,000 square feet in my house. Like, bother when you, go from, when, when you go from a success, yeah, and then, like, we sold our house. When you go from actual, now, I, now I, I'm building up a new business again. Uh, you know, I'm writing my real estate license. I have some other business on the go. And I, but I, I, I'm not really back in the game yet. 
And I probably will, I will be with you. At some point, I'm going to be back in the game hustling and operating every day. And whenever that hits, I'm going to be a formidable presence. Because I'm going to be hard to beat. Because I, if I say I'm right, I'll believe it. So I'm going to be a, a different operator. And I look forward to that day. I look forward to developing myself in a way I'm proud of. And I could give a shit about, I'm going to treat money. My dad, one time he said to me, you don't respect money. Hmm. And uh, so every day, every time I spend a $2, I'm like, are you respecting money right now? Like I'm now, I got a headache right now because I'm quitting coffee. Because I'm like, is it respecting money to spend $3 a day on coffee? And to me, it's not. It's wasting it. And it, every human being on the planet makes a finite amount of money. So if to be good at the game, you should be very well in control of it. To be good at hockey, you have to know how to control the puck. And that can take years to learn. Just because someone has money doesn't mean they... So many people just happen upon it. I, I know people who just gotten a million dollar inheritance, and I how I view that now. I'm like, I see, you see them, they're buying a boat, and I'm like, do you love boating, <laughs> or are you just buying a motherfucking boat? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I that's only, what I you only do want to do things I love. Yeah, I, I, I love. Yeah, and man, I was just reading on an article today. Uh, it was talking about a study, and I forget what the exact year was, but it was basically, might have been in the Atlantic, about the search for happiness and money's, money's impact on happiness. And basically, when you hit 75K at the time of the study, which I think yeah. now is uh, like $92,000, happiness isn't increased by making $120,000. Happiness is increased with people and experiences. And that's your, that goes to your boat point where... Like, I'm not a boater. Like, if I had that thing, I might take it out once or twice. It's going to get stuck, and it's going to be a fucking headache. But, I, I mm -hmm. like, I enjoy jobs. So when I'm yep. feeling good about money, it's hard for me to then spend $100 on jogging shoes, even though I know I'm going to use the fuck out of it. Like, I've run 700 miles this year. You're supposed to throw away shoes at, like, 300. I was like, ah, oh, man, I think I can make another month. You know, my cal my feet are all calloused and stuff, but it gives you a sense of freedom because you're not, the new product isn't driving you. The experience and enjoyment is driving you. And that's when people can find contentment. And it's, it's weird to me. I don't know why I've always kind of grown up that way, but I've never cared about like, I have a Mercedes, not a Kia. I'm like, fuck that dude. I'm just trying so, to get to work. <laughs> so do you have a good moral compass? I don't know. I don't know if I can decide that. To me, that would be false hubris. Who am I to say if I'm good or not? Well, and you saying that, I'm like, that's that's a more sophisticated answer. Than, I drink wine. Than I think <laughs> than I think I could offer. But did you grow up with religion? Um, I was pretty fucking religious for a time in my life. So I grew up went to. Catholic school, though I wasn't Catholic. So I grew up in New York City. Um, mm. Went to Catholic school because I guess that's what happened. Uh, we moved to Delaware. Parents get divorced, moved to Delaware. 
I wind up going like Bible thumping Christian in my 20s, early 20s. Actually, maybe I was like 22. I, I know I had a good time my um, 21st birthday because I got a DU, I got charged with a DUI the day before my 21st birthday. I was working in a bar as a bartender. God, this is terrible. I don't know if I said this. Um, I was working in the bar as a bartender, and I was taking my friend home. And it was terrible because I've been bartending since I was 19. It was a tiny place. They just needed help. I looked more mature, I guess. So I'm always around. Much like you started drinking at 13, I was drinking early. Whatever. Um, what? Feeling myself with my boy in my ride, I got like a decent little like like a Ford Probe with like a ten inch subwoofer, and we're just I loved like Ford Probe when I when dude, I was sixteen. Dude, right? Like those were they were sharp looking cars. Dude, great. Keep it clean. Sound systems looking yeah. good. I mean, like they had some get up in them. So yeah. some dude cuts us off, and for some reason we're like, fuck that guy. <laughs> dude i'm and i'm still pretty skinny at this point in my life i'm not much of a fighter i'd come back from the i served in the army i was in national guard but i'm not a fighter yeah. like I'm, I'm not throwing fists and whooping anybody's ass um yeah. i'm 140 pounds 510 at the time and i'm like let's go fucking get him like i'm gonna go wreck someone <laughs> right <laughs> dumbass long story short dude slams on his brakes and we just back end him Ooh. and and it is literally, I look at my watch after I get out. My boy is on the side. He's bleeding from his nose. I take off my shirt. So now I'm in a white beater, which I guess is not the proper way to say it. An under-ribbed, an under-ribbed shirt and black okay. pants. And I'm yelling at this dude. And the cops come and I look at my watch and it's like 11.50. And I turn 21 <laughs> at 12 o'clock at that night. And I know I'm not going to blow. I'm like, wind up getting arrested, lose my license, get out the next day. And I'm going around trying to go to bars at 21 with a sheet of paper saying I got arrested on July 3rd. And I'm like begging people, can I please have a drink? I don't have an ID. Please accept it. Um, that sounds exactly like something I would have done at 21. Yeah, dude, it's, it's amazing. And I, like, I'm sure we both have I, I probably got 25 more stories where it's just like, what the fuck yeah. were you doing, man? So after that, I feel like living that way drove me to my desire for, like you're saying now, something more, which I really feel is why I got super biblical. And I won't get okay. into, I, I, it's not a getting to know me podcast, getting to know you podcast, but super Bible thumper for several years, man. And um, people, oh. people just fucked it up. The more I learned about people who were in these churches with me, the more decisions they made having to be the elders, the pastors. People. Yeah, the people. It, it fucking people ruined it. Fuck. People. Here's a, the, if there's one truism, one thing that never changes, human beings fuck everything up. Yeah. No. Like, like. We are, we are an opportunistic, stupid, violent chimpanzee. Like, we're just a, like, and I, I view, like, I see people running around. Every time I see a young guy in a supercar, you know what I tell my daughters? I tell my daughters to see. Find the guy the with the ball day, <laughs> I tell them, yeah, right. That's, that's another point. Watch out for that. <laughs> the most dangerous thing on the face of the earth 
is a mom between the age of 16 and 19. That there's a three-year period in there where I've seen I've seen a lot of guys do bad things who who today are good guys. Yeah. But I tell my daughters that they you you have to, even if you like them, you've got you've got to be careful with them because they're all all even the best of them have they're gonna they have two or three bad decisions that that is is going to happen in that period of time, yeah, probably. And, and you hope it doesn't result... I don't know what the court system's like in Canada, but in America, you'd be like, dude, I hope it doesn't result in death or felony. Uh, I, yeah. I hope, yeah. I hope nobody gets hurt. Everyone's going to fuck up, especially the dudes. It's something about us where we push it. I don't know how we got yeah, talking into that about <laughs> the religious aspect, the moral compass thing. But it, it it's interesting that we both... So you didn't get that. I got mine early 20s, and it seems like you're kind of getting that calibration of your moral compass more so in your late 30s, huh? Absolutely. I, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I actually haven't figured out. And I went pretty far off the map in a variety of ways, and I haven't figured out I haven't actually been able to unpack it because and probably because I've been so busy trying to correct it and but literally it it's it literally it was like I woke up over the course of the summer of 2016 I I was I just I finally admitted to myself that I was a piece of shit what I was you- like you're a piece of shit my, when my, my, my son was born in 2015, and that was, you know, like, you know, I just started seeing the world. I was like, I was like, fuck, I'm not the man I thought I was. Every time I looked at him, I was like, I just felt I'm not, do, I'm not good enough. I'm not doing good enough. Literally. And I didn't see it with my daughters because... Because I just could never imagine them growing into myself. Uh, but with my son, I was like, if your son, I was like, I looked at him. And, you know, I was, oh, I would have been 2015. I would have been 35 when he was born. And there was just no excuse. There was no way, nowhere to hide. I was like, if he turned into me, he'd be a piece of shit. And when, okay, then the light bulb goes on and it's like, fuck, oh my God, I am a piece of shit. I don't, right? It's like, I, I party, I do, you know, I randomly do drugs. I, I don't value, I, I'm like my whole life, it just, I'm just not proud of it. It looks frivolous. It, it's got no meaning to it. And then I spent a couple of years in that zone of, fuck, what the fuck am I going to do? And I remember one time my, my dad called me and I, you know, I said, Hey dad, you know, this is so fucking embarrassing, but I'll say it. I said, uh, Hey dad, I just, I just don't know if you love me. Like I love Lex. Oh, wow. And you know, he said to me, that fucking guy, my dad's a good man. He said, he said, why don't you wait till you're 70 fucking two 
and ask me. Like, like, and he just said, my, he just said, he said it in a way like, you've got no idea how much I love you. And instantly I was like, oh my God, there's, and then there's like cascading. There are levels to this game. And if I want to play at this game, and then listening to Jordan Peterson, I started to map out a way to fix the things in my life that I knew were broken. And I started, you know, I, I had to make a list of the things that had to go. And I had to work on getting them gone. And that once you start a journey, you know, another th- thing, probably even mass murders to some degree, they, they, their internal thought is that they're on a hero's journey. Like Ted Kaczynski, right? The Unabomber, you know, he believed he was a hero in his own world. And we all do. I believe I, well, now I do. Now I believe I'm on a hero's walk. Now I believe I'm, I don't know if I'm going to get anywhere in life, but I know that I'm walking in the right direction. And um, if I had, I could still have that life I had at another time that had lots of cash flow in it. I could have doubled down, like, but fuck, I'm glad I didn't. Fuck, what, I'm glad I didn't. What made you ask your dad that question? Because that does not seem like a typical man's man. So I don't, I don't know where my father is. Dude dipped when I was ten. So my whole like, oh, wow. yeah, my whole value system of what a dad is is shaped by afternoon TV that I grew up watching. <laughs> okay. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I wasn't around a lot of fathers, but I picture being around a lot of dudes. It's especially early on. It's hard. It seems like it's hard for guys who have dads to be kind of openly emotional with them. And that seems like a very open, emotional question. And then I'm putting on top of it the whole jock thing, if you want to add that stereotype. And it, That took me two years. That took me two years to say that. You were thinking about it like every time you spoke to him. Yeah, I was thinking about it every time my dad's phone number came up on my fucking cell phone. Because I, when I had my son, I had to come to terms with things that happened to me as a child. And I was like... I was like, well, maybe he didn't give a shit about me. And then, but that's not the case at all. It's that life gets messy and he did the best he fucking could. And, but for him, you know, my dad's response to that question, like he's such a, he's a really modest guy, but he changed my life when he said that. Why? Because what I heard was there, he said, you know, dad, I just don't know if you love me like I love Lex, my son. And he said, well, why don't you wait till you're 72 or said whatever he was like, like, and it, it was like, he's loved me for longer than I've, he, my dad's loved me the, for I don't, I, I didn't, what I heard was I didn't even understand what love was from his point of view. He's been at the game so long. And he's, he, I think my dad was able to say that because he's actually done the best he could. And I believe he has. My dad is a, he's a good man. He's honest. He, 
you know, he, we all have our failures, but he's, I don't have a lot of circumstances in my mind where my dad's fucked me over. My dad's always done his best for me. And I hope I can say that to Lex one day. But then why? I hope I. I'm, I'm sorry, but I'm wondering why you're um, feeling like he doesn't love you like you love your son. Well, I just, I just wasn't sure. I hit a point in my life, you know, like I just hit a point in my life where I just wasn't sure. I just wasn't sure. I like I like you said, my dad. They certainly didn't. I guess they left it open for us to question. Like Lex would never question how much I love him. But my dad's generation, and I know this from my other friends, a lot of my friends have rough relationships with their dads because our dads didn't say that. They, like like my dad, there's, um, we talk about work and productivity and what we should do. We don't talk like this. Right. And I really hope one day I can talk with Lex like this. So I don't have, I don't, I don't even, I think if I don't have these talks with my dad, it's, they're from a different, you know, my dad was born in 1948 after the war. Yeah. And how, how the fuck do I know what goes through his head? <laughs> yeah. Right. But it doesn't mean he doesn't completely love his children yeah. just because he's hard to relate to. Yeah. Right. Cause they love, everyone loves in their own way. Like he's loving through provision or he's loving through empowering or he's loving through education or preparedness or work ethic. Yeah. And he's yeah. like, boy, I fucking love you. Cause I instilled this work ethic in you. And now you will be fine. My job as a parent is to make sure you are fine. I fucking stuck around and made sure you were fine. And it, I did my best by you. Yeah, right. Yeah. And and that statement, I I guess when my what I heard my dad saying was, I have done my best by you. And he, I I heard honesty in him. And and then as I and at the time in my life, I couldn't say the same to Lex. I couldn't I couldn't look at Lex and say, I've done my best by you. I'm like, no, the fuck I was I'm hungover. I'm hungover every weekend when I, we hang out. Is that my best? Yeah. And fuck it. It made, I'm like, no, I want to fucking show up for you. I want to, my best. I need to, I need to develop my best and what that looks like. My dad did it. He genuinely feels he did his best. I can't even say that. So what the fuck am I talking to him about it for? I got my own shit to figure out, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And if you don't want to get into this, we don't have to at all. But I'm curious because of the, the desire to be there for your your kids while going through the divorce you had mentioned. How's that been trying to balance that time and the sense of I don't want to say abandonment, but not being there as often. If that is the case, I'm assuming. Feel yeah, free to call um, me an asshole for assuming I apologize. No, no, no. It, that's that, that's a that's a totally legitimate question. Um, ultimately, I made a judgment call that that 
my children shouldn't be under the toxicity of a marriage that's unfixable. And you, uh, uh, you kind of make a call, okay, well, they're this age, it's a timing thing. And then, then actually, that's a funny thing. I was totally battling it, and I hadn't really pulled the card. But the smart move is to pull the card. There's mental health issues. There's, there are, the relationships had become unsalvageable. It would be best for both of us, forget about the kids for a second, She's going to be a better person, I believe, and I'm going to be a better person. You know, we got together at 22 years old. I was 22 years old when I met her. First girlfriend I ever had, love of my life. But fuck, we can't, I can't. We are, we are so different today. Anyways, that's my dad again. Fuck. He calls me up and says, hey, I'm going to be in Penticton. Let's meet for breakfast, right? Okay, let's meet. So I meet with him and... You know, I'm kind of, I, I don't feel myself. And he's getting in his truck to leave again. He goes, hey, Lars. He goes, I put my kids through a divorce, and none of them are retards. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, he's here for it. Like, and it's, again, it was kind of like, like, we become so selfish. Like, let's think long term about this. Like, do you kids want to watch you guys fight anymore? Oh, so you what? You don't get to see them? Well, come on. If you're there for your children all the time, you're going to see them a lot. Like, I have 50% custody, and I can show up to... I can You can show up in life for people as much as you want yeah. if you do it. So I show up. I... And I've always, you know, I, I, if there's, I believe that I'm a good dad. I believe I'm, I'm willing, I'm willing to give my last dollar to them. I'm willing, I, you know, I teach them to ski and hockey. I, I think about them. I talk to them. And, but, it, but again, you know, I, I would like to show up in life for them forever. Yeah. So it's kind of when you say forever, it's like I don't have to justify what I've done because I just have to the proof's in the pudding. You know, I think a dad who who likes to point to the the year he took them to soccer maybe should look at things a little deeper. But I've been doing stuff with my I've been spending time with my kids for you know, I got four kids, 13 to two. So I've been, I probably have 30, 25 or 30 years collectively of parenting now, right? <laughs> yeah. So I've spent a lot of time with my kids. Yeah, I, I'm just thinking, man, that had to be scary as hell, wanting to be the type of dad you want to be, but realizing the, the, the fear of the unknown is, I guess, it's what I'm scary, Like it would have to mind It's the scariest emotion I've ever had to deal with of, of all the emotion it, it was scary having a divorce going through it was scary pulling the plug it was but then the second it was pulled that was gone but the kids it's like oh basically I now I'm thinking okay you need to think very long term who are you going to be are you going to have a succession of girlfriends my dad, he got remarried and had a, has still to this day happily remarried. His life went swimmingly after a terrible marriage. My parents were throwing coffee cups all night long. 
waking <laughs> us up. And they fought for fucking years. He had a terrible marriage. And if I had, had to be honest, my marriage is terrible to me. You know, we basically got together at 22 and we drank, fucked, and fought. For right, like there is no growth. It's, sure. And then, and then the vision that we have of each other, I like just uh, from a humorous point of view. I'm like, I think, I think only our worst versions can show up and say hello to the other person. <laughs> like, like no matter what the intention is going in, it's like, fuck. Why did I say that? You know, like it's gonna take some time to to figure that out, but. But, fuck, you can't, the other thing is, you can't control it perfectly. Yeah. There was, I, there was no amount of marriage counseling, like, she, we were, the harder we worked at it, the more it unwound. That's interesting. And true. Huh. And, and bewildering. Yeah, right? Because you didn't think... That has to fuck with you, too, because, man, if you're growing up as this dude that you're, like, worker-conqueror, right? If I put in more time, if I do the steps the right way, it's going to be fruitful. It's going to be profitable. And that's got to mind-fuck you on top of that to be like, dude, I'm going through these steps and shit still ain't right. The fuck? Do you know what I tell myself? That... No, I I don't want to... There's soldiers who lived in the trenches... And then for four years, and then came out losing the war. Not everybody wins. You can't tell me that they didn't put complete effort into what they were doing. Their lives are on the line. There, it, there are no guarantees in life. Yeah. Dude, it's, it's good, again, to get super, I, I don't know. Woke. Yeah. I, I've spoken to a bunch of health coaches, and I, I, especially being a teacher, there's a huge push on mental health. And it's just... I'm 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 glad for you the fact that you seem in a very positive, productive, conf, confident might be the word mental place going through that because that you talk about the job thing and then you throw in a pressure of wanting to be a dad and the the best dad right like the ideal dad I want to be the yeah. dad of dads and then it it's just a shit lot of change at, at at a late stage in your life where you're supposed to be like get in the beer belly. <laughs> yeah. You know, you're supposed to be just not dealing with that change. And um, it's glad that you're still optimistic, positive, and can do. Man. Like, cause I, I don't think that can be easy. I don't know if everyone going through all that would still remain productive and still remain positive. It becomes a, yeah, it's a journey inward. It's a, it's, Life from 20 to 40, 20 to 35 was a journey outward. And now I find if I don't journey inward every day, the wheels can come off and I can lose my grasp on confidence and solidness very fast. So, but it comes back too. And so, you know, I think... 40 for me is being reborn. <laughs> for you, 40 is reborn. You just saying, then 50, you'll be reborn again every decade. Right? Fuck, <laughs> fuck, I hope not. I can only go through this once. I, at 50, I, I hope 50. I, my goal at 50 no is grandchildren. that, that <laughs> my, my, my story 
it just has faded into the i want my kid's story to yeah. be front and center yeah right yeah i think most i would agree with that like most most people who are into their kids i feel you just want to be there for them and some sort of positive part of their life yeah you know I want to be around. I want to hear more about um, you wanting to drink shit, which I believe would have to be classified as diarrhea instead of drinking. Like, That's true. Did these like coincide, the, the traumatic events going through your life? And I don't mean to be an ass calling them traumatic anyway, but like these serious events going in your life and deciding not to drink? Yeah, well, like, based, um, no, it, To me, it just feels like a completely childish and selfish activity. And I don't say that with judgment on people who drink. I say that on judgment to my own self. <laughs> and I don't, if I, if I, there's not a world where I could ever have a beer and not feel like a completely selfish childish version of myself because you think it's just going to lead to a party that night like it's just going to lead well, to shots and staying up because, late no i have partied i i have partied probably as hard as some rock stars if my friends heard this podcast a lot of them would say harder <laughs> and that's legitimate i've spent enough money on cocaine and liquor in my life that I don't need to ever spend another dime on it. And the other thing is I keep my optimism about life by, I stay very tightly tethered to the fact that I can't wait to get up tomorrow. Mm. And for me, I got it. I like, I, I like, I jump into bed now because I'm like, fuck. And so if my, sometimes if that's more important to me, I've already stayed up on all the nights. Yeah. I've gone to the stags all over the U.S. I've partied in hotel rooms. It, there's no growth for me left there. And I'm, I'm not, I can have, I could I visit with friends and have a glass of water. I can absolutely become extroverted and get into a different social zone with a flick of my finger. I don't, liquor for me it has I just I would just hate myself if I gave any more time to it what was the first last day like like did you wake up hungover and you were like fuck this what made you make the choice no for, for me drinking and partying it 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 peaked in probably 2018 and then it was a, a slow decline, and then it was a speedy decline, and then I, you know, it's like I, and then the last person I ever got drunk with was also one of the first people I ever got drunk with. I know. <laughs> my, one of my oldest friends that I grew up with named Dylan, and I went out and visited him, and my wife was actually in, in rehab at the time. She'd gone to rehab. Okay. And I had all four children. She went off in a traumatic event on Mother's Day. The police were involved. Oh. And 
Yeah. And I had all four children and I, I literally, I was so mentally tired. I called up my buddy. I drove up to Alberta and hung out at his place and his wife took care of my baby. I just needed like, just, they just took care of me for a few days. And, but we, we kind of like lazily got drunk one night. There was no more big wild nights in my horizon. I, and then, then after that, it was like my son's birthday on June 5th. And then that was the last time I ever drank. And, and yeah, it was, hell, I'd even started smoking the last, I, start, I think I started smoking cigarettes when I was 36. <laughs> oh, really? So then I would, I, I had, at, had got up to a pack a day and then I quit that too. You got to, I heard a saying, you got to get good at quitting things in life. <laughs> it was, and now, actually now today, I, I'm on, I got, I've had one coffee today, not three. I'm going to quit coffee too. I'm really sick of wanting things. Right. Like, there's a freedom I in fucking, not. I fucking hate, you know what? If I, like, the sun comes out and I catch myself at the gas station looking for a certain type of ice, ice cream bar. <laughs> like, I don't fucking want, I, I would rather focus on something more interesting. But it's, there's a part of our brains, the limbic system, whatever, that just, like, you know, what's that study with the cocaine rats? They ring the bell. Yeah, dude, do you know how much I get into that shit, that, that study on this podcast? Do you know the... Really? The, yeah, man, because... There's a second study where it's debunked. Do you know? Yeah, I heard that. Do you know yeah. why the rats were so into the cocaine? Because it was put in sugar water. No, isolation. What? Oh, that's right. Then they repeated the study, but they gave the rats other rats to socialize with or fuck, and they and quit. stimulation, and they chose the water instead of the cocaine water every single I time. I'm so glad you reminded me of that because I 100% believe... So Gabor Mate is a leading addiction person. Okay. And he says the opposite of addiction is connection. Yeah. So that would speak... Dude, it's, it's shame. For, the, the people that get into addiction, it spirals into shame because they feel okay. like such shit for being what they are. Or going, doing what they are. I shouldn't say they're being what they are. Although I guess people would say you are always an addict. But doing what they're. I don't believe that. Okay. I do not. I do not believe that for a second. That's like saying, if you break your leg, you always have a broken leg. But we know that the bone heals stronger. And my my control on my addiction today is way stronger than a lot of people who say they don't have any addiction. And I see them eating fucking three pieces of cake. Yeah. They don't have a clue what they're addicted to. That, and They'll transfer it, right? So you, they, give, up, they you give up cigarettes and all of a sudden you're drinking 12 sodas a day. Or, or a lot of people who never drank or drank very little and they still drink and they don't smoke. And I won't, I, you know, I have a, I have a sibling who never, he's very, he absolutely eats to the point that will cost him, the last five years of his life will be less comfortable. Yeah. And that, whether, I don't care how you slice it, 
any behavior that stops you from living, I would say, is an addiction. Because isn't the the goal to stick around? Well, I mean, you can stick around a lot of different ways, right? I, I to me, the goal is to like, fuck. What would my goal be? I want to, I want to say the goal would be choice. I don't know why. I think my moral compass. I, looking at my parenting, I actually just laid into my daughter about this the other day, um, and I. I I, I tend to go like I have a switch, dude. I get I get wicked fucking intense real quick. Like, really? Oh, dude. With I'll be talking to a kid, and even not even not only my kid, just kids I teach, and they're like, Mister O'Grady, like, not life and death. And I'm like, I'm sorry. Your choices are gonna lead you to the point where it may be, and this your options. And like, I don't know what it is. I don't know why that fires in me, but I. I think life to me comes down to choices and every parenting every parenting decision I make for my daughter is to give her choice fuck that dude you're playing lacrosse because girl do you know you might be in a meeting one day applying for a job and the fact that you can talk about lacrosse gets you there versus someone else the fact that you play piano that's a connection that's an in that's a choice the fact that you can crack, that's a choice. The fact that you can run, the fact that you can read, the fact that you can... And I, like, constantly say that to her. I'm like, you realize you're doing all this that you say you hate, even though you kind of do it with a smile and good energy. <laughs> because I'm teaching you choices are what life's about. And people fucking hate it when they have no choice. So I'd say it's not just being able to stick around, because I don't know if I want to stick around on a ventilator or like what you're saying, 400 pounds and not being able to move or feel comfortable. I want choices. If I want to sit down and have some ice cream at 70, I want to be able to do that. But if I want to go for a walk, I want to be able to do that. If I want to drive a car, if I want to shoot the shit and have a beer with whatever my grandkids, I want to do that. Yeah, so I'd say choices is what I would put it down to. I want to, I want to live with choices when I get old. So that's a value that that you feel passionate about that you 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 strive after that value every day yeah it's my financial it's part of my financial decisions too going back to like the money and the choices it's like dude if i buy this does it give me choices or does it take away choices something as simple as fucking the lawn man the lawn i like i've always cut my own grass and i'm finally to the point where i'm like how much would it cost to have someone else cut the grass and then, like, I get the quote, and I'm like, fuck, man, would I pay myself to do this? Or what would I do with the hour of free time that I gain? Would I pay myself $40 to have an hour of free time? You know, like, would I be productive? Am I just going to fucking sleep in somewhere? Or am I going to run an extra three miles? And, or is the being outside kind of nice? Because me cutting the grass, I get time to think. And am I going to pollute my mind? Like, these are the weird things my mind goes to with those well, money you know choices. What? You know what? I, you're right. So Thank you. I don't hear that enough. No, you're right. <laughs> you're right. Choice. So, so there's two types of choices. There's, I think that there's choices that you decide on. I choose 
to have a, I choose to have a coffee in the morning, a coffee at six o'clock, a coffee at two o'clock and an ice cream bar at three o'clock. And then there's choices that the, the world presents to you. Like this guy messaged me and he wants to do a podcast. And I'm like, fishing that scheme. just come out of, just came out of the fucking ether. Don't answer fishing scheme. <laughs> yeah, that's right, right? But 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 I use that as an example, but the world gives the world literally lands like I found this beach I've been going to after work sometimes now. And it's just like I like to stay I like to keep my focus on that part of the world that comes to me as a surprise. Yeah. Where 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 every time I look for that choice that I can control, like the coffee, the ice cream bar, it it always leaves me dissatisfied. But but then the choices that the world presents me, this this going to that beach, um, a sport for my kid that they've never been in that I take them to, I'm always fucking blown away with what it does to my life. It's just immeasurably more valuable. The choices the world gives me versus the choices I seek for myself. Doesn't that seem random versus predictable? Like the first ones you've experienced. And I've I've oh. not I've done some drugs. I don't know how much I can get into about my past due to my jobs, collective bargaining yeah, agreement. Um, but one thing I haven't done is coke. Um, I don't know why I never got into it. Um, probably because I failed a couple drug tests going into the army, and it was such a pain in the ass to get into the army. <laughs> um, failing drug tests that I just got scared off of it once I had the money to get coke. <laughs> yeah. um, but I've always heard your first high is the best high. And then you're always chasing that high. And it seems like the randomness you're talking about being the better choice is because it's that new, it's that new oh. high versus, man, I know this, I know what this $3 blizzard or Nestle bar ice cream is going to be like. So it's never as good as the memory that it's attached to. Yeah, you're right. I call in, so there's dynamic exercises like soccer, hockey, yeah. your work, your, it's a dynamic performance. It's your, all your senses, all your brain, all your body. Yeah. And then there's static. Bend over, touch your toes. And, <laughs> yeah, and so every high you get from drugs, even the first one, ultimately, you're just feeding chemicals into your body and you're going to have a physiological response to it. Still static. It can't change that much. It's like doing an arm curl at the gym. It's you're gonna. It's. I think I think some people would argue with you about psychedelics. Now I don't think cocaine goes as a psychedelic, and I won't say I've done psychedelics. I'll say I know someone very intimately who has done psychedelics, and they seem pretty fucking dynamic. <laughs> I've done, and I think that if if you meet somebody who's done them for years, my argument that it's static would carry more weight. Sure, oh. it might feel dynamic if you've done it three times. Gotcha. That's because you've only done it three times. It's completely new. But the, the walls, the parameters 
I believe the parameters that any drug offers is smaller than the parameters that the natural world offers. I, it, it's, dude, I'll tell you, I went, I mentioned it earlier, that kayak trip, which is just through a little river, and it was eerie as fuck. I purposefully didn't bring any headphones because I just wanted to get lost in my mind. Like, how often do you have no sound and just your thoughts, right? An hour and a half in, I heard a boat coming, the motor. And I, my first thought was like, I'm going to fucking get shot. They're going to kill me. And I don't know why I thought that, but I was... Because you were alone. Dude, first time ever. And then once I, they pass, whatever, it's cool. But the fact that I saw like a bald eagle perched on a fallen tree, or the fact that I discovered this like forgotten farm that looked like it was from The Walking Dead. And I just walked yeah, around yeah. the bitch being like, hello. The fact that... I felt I saw a herd of deer galloping in in marsh that I didn't know could happen, and the fact that I that's, found my way to the entrance with my phone dynamic. dead. You were that's like, fucking, "Yeah, dude, it was, it was one of those things where you're like, fuck, why don't?" And it leaves you with, "Why don't I do this more?" Oh, probably because I drink too much to get up at fucking five thirty in the morning to get the shit done. I. I, at this stage in my life, I believe drugs and alcohol are offered to us as a consumeristic experience. Hmm. And, and that's whether they're legal or illegal. It's like, they're predictable. Even now, I, like, mushrooms and stuff, all this stuff is now, it's coming online and it's popular. I was doing mushroom trips at 15 in the forest with my friends for three days. Seriously? Yeah, and, <laughs> and now I've seen, I've seen... Um, rich friends in Vancouver paying $2,000 to go on guided psilocybin trips. It's the same fucking thing. Yeah. No different. And it's, I, I don't, I have no judgment on it. I don't say, I, I'm not never going to say what people should do. I don't have that right. But for me, I'm after dynamic. The ultimate natural. unpredictable, unpredictable, natural dynamic. What can I get out of it? And free. The 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 best experiences are free. If as soon as there's a cost to something, I feel it's it's really it's predictable because somebody's offered it. Hmm. And that's 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 experience of. I'm 40. I didn't, I smoked wheat. Marijuana was my first drug at 13. And, you know, I, I would say, oh, I, I haven't done enough drugs that I think I affected my mind over the long term. where, you know, I see people who smoke weed every day and I can see their speech has slowed down and stuff, hmm. but I've done piles of cocaine in my time. And I, I drank in enough that I, I really feel if I drank another few years, uh, I don't have any health issues, yeah. but I think I would have, I'm sure I'm not Superman. Like, I, you know, in my height of drinking, I could drink, oh, I could drink a case of beer and a two sticks of whiskey. Yeah, I was about to, Jesus, a case of beer. A ca I could drink 12 beer in a night and fuck. Actually, I'm lying. I could absolutely <laughs> polish off two bottles. I could probably 30 ounces 
I've had big those nights, and then it's funny to look back on because it's just absolutely. I'm lucky. I'm so healthy. Is that? And again, because I hadn't done coke, but I've been around. I actually haven't been around coke too often. A couple times where my friends would finish handles of shit because they were so jacked, and I didn't understand it. Like they do some, they do bumps of coke, and then they'd want to drink to like slow them down. Then they would yeah, want yeah, to do exactly coke right. to like bring it up, and then they'd want to drink to slow it down. You're like, well, why don't you yeah. fucking pick a lane, dude? Like it just seems like you just got paid on Friday. You just rolled to this guy, fucking drove you 45 minutes. You offered me $30 in gas and you, you, you're snorting away your paycheck. That's and not cocaine. Do it. So I played hockey on a, in a fight for a, in a banker's league in Vancouver. And I, the first time I played on Tuesday afternoon, we finished hockey at four o'clock in the afternoon and we're in a dressing room. There's, you know, probably 15 guys in a dressing room. And a couple of them busted out cocaine. And there was only one guy in the dressing room who didn't do it. And these are all bankers. That's a true, that's a true statement. That's yeah. not, that's not, that's a cliche, but it's also true. And so there, cocaine was so, in the CrossFit gym I went to, everybody was doing it. It was, and it allowed you not to get sloppy drunk. Uh, so, okay. so you can actually ride a real aggressive party wave on it. Uh, and and I rode I I rolled that to the end where it was like it's just like it, it becomes such an absolute and complete waste of time and money. You hate you you be every here every single drug I've ever done from ice cream to coffee to cocaine to liquor. I eventually look at it and hate it. Did, every everyone. Did you wind up having to like go to a rehab for any of this stuff, or like this realization is just coming from you thinking on your own? No, like no, I cold I cold turkey I cold turkey cocaine. I I, I remember quitting smoking. I, I said okay, I'm gonna wake I'm gonna wake up Wednesday and start running. That was the last time I ever smoked in my life. Hmm. I went from a pack a day to absolutely 100% cold turkey. I have never had not even a puff since. Really, it's a decision. And if you tap in to the right moral compass in your heart and the right motivation center, you, and, and then you got to let yourself fail because then you feel that shame. And that's important. You got to let yourself fail to quit something. It's like starting something. Quitting something is a lot like starting something. You got to be willing to fail at it before you get it. People undervalue shame, man. Shame is a super powerful motivating factor that not enough people allow to. I don't know if you want to embrace shame, but it'll fucking drive you. (laughs) <laughs> it's the enemy of the. I think the ego exists not to feel shame, right? Because you're right. It you should like it does. Like yeah, it's a cold shower, yeah, man. That, I mean, you splash some fucking shame on you, and you're like, nope, ain't not 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 happening again. Yeah, you're right. I um, uh, what's a good shame story I got? Oh, dude. So 
first time I realized we were um, we had grown up I had grown up rich in New York. We come to Delaware. We wound up poor. Go from whatever living in Manhattan. My mom's like a general sales manager of Kiss FM, a radio station. She's a female making one hundred and ten thousand a year in like nineteen eighty seven, which is okay. pretty good living, right? Um, my dad was a real estate guy. Um, so anyway, we come to Delaware. It's just my mom. Uh, life spirals, whatever. We're poor. We go to a trailer. Now I'm in a trailer park, right? From New York City, living in Jackson Heights, to a trailer wow. park in middle of Sussex County, and um. We go food shopping, and we go to pay for food, and um, my uh, step, I don't know if he was actually my stepdad, might have been like a boyfriend, whatever, hands me a wad of cash, looks like Monopoly money, and I'm like, I, like, what are you doing? He's like, pay for the food, and he's, whatever, he goes to find something else, and the lady's ringing us up, and I start handing her these bills, and she gives me this like weird look. And I, I don't know what it is, but it's almost like that gut, that conscious, where it's like, you should feel awkward. And we walk out, and I'm like, you know, that lady was staring at me and um, made me feel kind of weird. Like, I, I felt, almost felt like I was feeling. She's like, that's because she ain't know what food stamps were, boy. And I'm well, like, what? She's like, you didn't know you just paid for food stamps? All this steak we just got was food stamps. And I'm like, that's why the money looks fake? And I was like the realization of like, I'm on fucking food stamps. I had no idea, no idea. And that was the first time like in my life where I'm like, that ain't fucking happening again. I'm not fucking walking into some store, getting some sort of handout, having someone look at me like I'm a piece of shit because I want to get some food with some fake money that the government gives me. But no, that shame. Nope. Dude, that shame, that memory. And it's a little blurry, but the emotions there. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I can't remember yeah, if I was like 10 or if I was 12, but I can see the aisle and I can feel the lady's eye and the emotion drives me, man. And I'm like, I won't live beyond my means because I don't want to fucking deal with that. And it, That's it, powerful. Yeah, right. And it, But I think if you don't experience something like that, where do you get your resolve from? Where do you get your... I'm going to wake up and get it done from compass. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting shame's shame's undervalued sometimes. Um, in my humble. I agree with you. Well, I think it's dinner time for me. Dude. Well, I was about to say, Lars, you told me you had all night, you liar. Um, but I I know, I know. I can't believe it's been two and a half hours. I've really enjoyed it. Yeah, that's it. incredible. I had a, I had a, a lot pile of fun well, though. That was I I I didn't have I didn't know what it would be like coming into it, but yeah, I'm really glad I did. It, it's uh, I really enjoyed talking to you. Um, my friend, you're not off the hook yet because I'm okay. almost positive you do not know how the podcast ends. Okay. Um, do you or do you not know what's about to happen? I don't. Excellent. I don't know. Only three people. Shout out Kristen, Eric, and Jeege, Um, are the three who have known. I believe you're the 88th person. <laughs> and only three have made it to know the end of a podcast. Okay. Get ready to tell a story about yourself. Okay. Much like I just told one about me. I call this section. And I guess I shouldn't say I call it. What I'm asking for is... Yes. Your best first for last. 
We've saved the best first for last. Sponsored by Abstinence. Waiting makes it worthwhile. My best first for last. Hold on a second. My best first <laughs> for last. I gotta plug my phone in. Okay. Tell me that one more time. Best first for last. So the concept is, it's funny how like everyone repeats it to try to understand it. Um, I feel it's simple. I'm looking for your best first experience, best first time doing something for the last thing that people getting to know you will get to get to know you with. Okay. So what's the, what's the last thing I experienced that was the first thing I experienced? No, any first time. But it's going to be the last thing on the podcast, which is why I call it Best First for Last. It It is easy to understand once you get it. (laughs) Yes, right? It's so simple. But everyone, I think it's the pressure because most people haven't been on like pods and shit. They're like, I don't know. Oh, my God, I have to tell a story. What's a cool first thing? But I don't know. Okay, so I got, I got, I know, I know exactly what I would say is the best first thing I ever experienced. Fantastic. This is so easy for me. And it actually ties the whole podcast together in a good way. You're building it up pretty high, man. You're building it up. (laughs) Hey, hey, you wait and you wait and see. So so I I asked it took me a year to be allowed to play hockey. I my mom says I asked every day for a year. So they went and got secondhand equipment and the first time I stepped on the ice, I was the first one on the ice, and it was they cleaned the ice after the last practice, so you step onto a completely fresh sheet of ice. And I can remember, I, I didn't know how to skate yet, so I was probably still running on my skate. I was a fast little runner. I was just sprinting down the ice on my skate, and I fell and I slid. And I can still remember even the temperature of what that ring felt like on my neck. <laughs> and when I wanted to clean my life up, a mantra I had decided on was, man, I just want to live like I was nine years old again. When I just can't wait to go paintballing or running or swimming, whatever. And through COVID and whatnot, I got, my son learned to play hockey and he learned to ski. And I got to see that same joy I felt the first time I ever stepped on the ice, played hockey, I got to relive that through him. The first time he played hockey, he fell down and got up. I lost count at 60 times. <laughs> Only pure enthusiasm for life That's amazing. Can, can make someone be so terrible at something around their peers and have a lack of shame, mm-hmm. yet pure enjoy when he got off the ice he said dad i could feel myself getting better mm. and that's a true statement and then it was just magical because I, I was like oh my god i'm fucking living i'm actually living how i wanted to live this is how i wanted to live i'm i'm not hung over i'm i'm here at Prague. i felt so good i could give him that and i could see it then we went skiing he just as soon as he got home he wanted to go skiing again so that, to me, is what life's about. It's about passing on 
the most valuable things in in life that we happen upon that are hard to get. And I hope one day somebody listens to this podcast and understands that life isn't easy, but it's worth it if you try really hard. I, dude, I, there is nothing, my daughter has this voice, and I fucking miss it, man, because I haven't heard it in, like, a year. Again, she's 11. The, again, 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 that pure joy of, like, whatever, you flip her in the pool, you just fucking throw her as high as you can, and she lands, again, 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 you double bounce her on the trampoline, again, 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 and there's no greater joy for me as a father, and it sounds like for you as a dad, when you've had some role in helping your kid get the experience that they can't wait to get again. That's our job, Sean. Right? Right? That's our goddamn job. And, but I think the, the message, with, I don't, it, it's not as much of a story. I thought you'd be a better storyteller. No, I'm just kidding. But the <laughs> mantra, the mentality of like, are you doing that for you? Are you waking up in the morning? Being like, again, 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 to experience yeah. that day, man, like that's a powerful fucking mindset. Yeah, I, if, well, it's a, it's like first day principle. It's like every day is the first day. And so you're, if I'm given tomorrow, then I'm going to start off the day feeling good about how I went to bed. Yeah. And I'm going to put my best effort in. I'm not going to coast it in. Yeah, yeah. And that's fucking, you know what? There's a lot of people in the world with more money than me. But I'm not coasting. Tomorrow when I wake up, I'm not going to coast it in. So if you're coasting it, if you're coasting it in out there, you better be prepared to be eaten one day. <laughs> Dude, I thought when you got to the hockey rink, stereotypical Canadian best first for last got to be a hockey story I thought it was going to be about like checking somebody or some like skating cheerleader just google eyeing you um Lars I can't believe and I don't even know how to say it's a O'Connigan lifestyle which is on your Instagram I wanted to ask what that was but We'll save yeah. that for another time. That, the whole That's the Okanagan lifestyle. That's where we live, the valley we live in. Okay. Gotcha. Yep. So it's a little simpler. Dude, it was so nice um getting to know you, man. Love the vibe, love the energy. I really appreciate your time. And um Yeah, you too. I really enjoyed meeting and talking with you. Yeah, right. And if you ever yeah, wind up on it. the east coast of Delaware, man, feel free to hit me up. Yeah. And vice versa. Yeah, right. I it's if you're ever in if you're ever in Canada or in Idaho or anything. Hit me up, and uh, I I have a, I I know a lot. Of, we have a ton of fun. We paddleboard. Yeah. Just a ton of fun, dude. Where one of the better decisions I got was buying a foam. So again, we live by the ocean, but the way Delaware's curved, we have a bay. So if you want more like chill, you can go to the bay without like the crashing mm-hmm. waves. Buying a styrofoam surfboard and just going out there and falling and just beating yourself yeah. up. Like all that shit, man. It's so fun. Paintballing. Took my daughter paintballing when she was like eight. Yeah. You know, yeah, so dragon, all that shit, man. Um, so did I. Dude, that's the yeah. beautiful thing of this podcast is my goal would be the whole like United States circle road trip during the summer. That's why I'm a teacher. Oh, and man. you get like two months off. And um, you know what? 
if you put it out there, there's a good chance it'll happen. Dude, I'm hoping next year, man. I'm, I'm hoping because my daughter, she'll be ending sixth grade, which I really feel is the end of when they want to hang out with you for a prolonged period of time. I feel like 12. I think I, think I know, I think I know what kind of a dad you are and they don't want to ever stop. I hope not, man. It's going to fucking break me when she does. <laughs> and <laughs> it really will. I only got one on for it, but I, it's going to, it's going to break. Me. Um, yeah. See, now we're rambling again, dude. Um, all, all that, all that to say, man, I really appreciate it. I will, um, if I ever make it out to Idaho, I'll definitely hit you up. And um, thank you so much for coming on and letting everybody get to know you, Lars. I really appreciate okay, it. Okay, thanks again. Have a great night. Do the same, man. Bye. Huge thanks to Lars for coming on the Getting to Know You pod, being so honest, giving up so much of his time, and... Just being a great fucking hang. You northern neighbors of ours in America. Um, Canadians and Islanders from Hawaii or Puerto Rico. Definitely my favorite people to chat with. Also, a fellow dad. It was a great time. Again, apologize, Lars, and to any listeners for the shitty static. I really tried. I, I have no idea how to edit that out. I tried my best. The sound quality is shit. Um, I apologize. Someone who never asks for an apology. AndrePsyche.com. Just thank you, Andre, for sponsoring the Getting to Know You pod. Please, listeners, you've made it this far. What else are you going to do? I'll tell you what. Go to AndrePsyche.com for some trippy ass, not ass, ass merchandise. That's worth checking out. And if you have not already, get on your Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook and follow the getting to know you pod it's all one word getting the number two no the letter u pod the word of the pod what else could it be nanny nanny is the word of the pod post nanny on any of our social media or tag the getting to know you pod when you post it on yours to get a shout out on the very next podcast please keep listening and Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the Getting to Know You pod on Apple, Spotify, or your preferred podcast platform. You can also go to our Patreon to support the pod for as little as $2 a month if you've enjoyed getting to know any of our guests. And finally, if you or someone you know would like to become a sponsor of or advertise on the Getting to Know You pod, we would love to partner with you. We have a wide-ranging global audience that would like to get to know more about your brand or business, how do you get on the pod? All you need to do is message us. See ya.